0: I think Chuck Norris and Batman need to have a contest to see who can make the biggest explosion by punching someone.
1: And welcome to the Retro Junkie Super Show. I am your co-host Rob, and joining me as always is my good friend, my partner in Retro Gaming Crime, the one, the only, the cheese to my Urkel, Landon! Dude, seriously, I'm not the cheese. If anything, I'm Eddie. <laughs> always
0: getting into trouble and having you bail me out with your scientific inventions. <laughs> that was good. <laughs>
1: Uh, Landon and I, wanna we want to welcome you all. And uh, I know it's been a while since the last recording and everything. It seems like life seems to get in the way very, very often. I, I guess we have a lot of shout-outs we, we want to get out of the way here. So, Landon, you first one, my man? Sure. Uh,
0: the first shout-out goes to Overworld Creations. Uh, they've made some pixelated versions of the Ninja Turtle sprites from the uh, TMNT2 arcade game, PS sprites. They're pretty sweet. Rob sent me some pictures of them, and uh, they're... They look just like they came from the game, like somebody has literally like reached the TV, pulled them out, and put them on Rob's wall.
1: Yeah, yeah, they look beautiful. They're in the official Retro Junkies headquarters right now. They look awesome, so Adam, we really appreciate it, man. For those of you who haven't seen his stuff, I believe his Facebook site is facebook.com slash pixels number four sale. And again, that's uh, uh, Overworld Creations. Uh, Adam's over that. Okay, next one, we want to thank our buddy Nick who has, you know, had really kind things to say about the show and everything. He's got his own Facebook page right now dedicated to everything retro uh, from the 90s, like the films, the music, the sporting events, video games, anything you could possibly think of that was from the 90s, uh, his future podcast is going to cover it. So if you want to check him out, uh, give him a little bit of support. It's 90s Entertainment Show. It's on Facebook at facebook.com slash N-E-S podcast, all one
0: word. Yeah, it's a pretty cool site. I took a look at it the other day, and I really liked what I saw. It's really coming up, coming along good. Also, if you're into comics, wrestling, video games, and anything retro-related, check out wwwadventuresin or their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash
1: I like this website. I like all the wrestling stuff. I'm a big wrestling fan, so... Yeah, me too. Me too. I I love what they're doing there. Uh, I I haven't seen a lot of their video game stuff yet, but I do know that they do an awesome, awesome review of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, original 1987 cartoon. Oh yeah, definitely. They had a nice article on Facebook the other
0: day uh, about the Batman comics doing some comparisons. Between the new Batman and the old one.
1: Oh, sweet. Check out Murphy's Law on YouTube. Uh, we met him on Adam's Overworld Creations page, and he's he's a new gaming collector that's already found some awesome games. In addition to Retro Games, he's a big comic book collector. I, I didn't know this, but he apparently has a copy of The Crow, the, the issue one from the first printing. And I also have that copy, too. And I found out that there's only about 3,000 of them that were ever made. So it's a small world, man. Yeah, you've got a collector's item there. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I mean, of course, mine's in bad shape, but the one he had looked like it was in really good shape. And he said he found it in his storage shed, so... (laughs) That's pretty cool. It's just like, oh, yeah, here's first
0: Crow. Hey, a Superman number one. Might need that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll take this uh, Detective's Comic
1: number one there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His, his YouTube channel is Murphy's Law 1310. So check him out. He's a cool guy. Another big thanks goes out to the
0: folks over at Atariage.com. We didn't know this. Rob and I didn't, and I'm just now learning this, that they sponsor uh, RetroGamingTimes.com, uh, Brian's retro gaming magazine, online magazine. Um, be sure. But, you know, their logo is at the bottom of the RTM uh, front page. So check that out. Uh, we just want to thank the users RJ and S1500 for the kind words about the show. Uh, we really appreciate it, guys. And it was it was a pretty sweet review. I saw that. And
1: Rob sent me a text message, and he's like, dude, we've hit the big time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we really appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for the, the kind words. It means a lot coming from you guys. That's right. And I guess another reminder is about our Nerd Network. Check out facebook.com slash nerdstalkradio and there's a lot of good stuff on there this week. There was one particular t- topic that John was uh, bringing up about false nostalgia. And what he meant by that was, have you ever played a retro game nowadays that you never played as a kid, but yet it still stirs up that nostalgic feeling in you? And if so, what game would that have been? For me, I have a game that, that I often think of. But then again, it's, it's kind of like Neo Retro. It's, it's a New game that was developed. It's like a homebrew game that was developed, but it's in the style of Oregon Trail. It's called Oregon Trail. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Oh, man. It's it's just like Oregon Trail. Like You're traveling a, a across the country and everything like that, but this one is uh, Zombies. It Basically, you're, you hijack a car. Of course, it's a clunker, so you have to try to drive it as long as you possibly can. Pick up some stragglers along the way that can help you out. You have to go into the woods at night and hunt and, and kill all these zombies and, and buy things for your vehicle because it's constantly breaking down. It's awesome. It's so good. And then sometimes your friends will get bit on the way. They don't die of dysentery. <laughs> <bithetary. laughs> Man, I was going to say, that's what always happened to my party. <laughs> uh, but they can get infected, and if your whole party dies game over and of course three or four times my whole party's died so i've gotten a few hours into the game but it's an awesome game and every time i play it i just think of oregon trail from uh from the old days man (laughs) that was a cool game let's see uh, another shout out
0: going to the nerd network is nerd noise radio that's facebook.com forward slash nerd dash noise dash radio uh john's posted some really great music lately and the site's really starting to grow uh it's got close to 80 likes so if you got some free time or or a fan of video game music, you ought to head over and check it out. Get some nerdy conversation started, you know, everybody likes a good a good nerdy conversation with, you know, awesome video game music to the background. Just for example, he's offered up some really great tracks from uh, Battletoads, uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Fall of the Foot Clan, Pitfall 2, Ninja Gaiden, uh, Bart's Nightmare and Earthbound tracks. Anyway, I guess that's it for the the top-of-the-show news.
1: Alright, Landon, what retro games have you been playing, my man?
0: Um, not been playing too many. The only one I've really played, and we're going to talk about it later in the podcast, is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters for the NES. Ah, classic. That's a good game. I actually sat down and and beat it with Raphael.
1: Oh, you, you beat that game?
0: Yeah. I didn't beat it on hard, though. I beat it
1: on the normal mode. Wow, wow. I'll tell you what, I've never played the NES version, I've just seen screenshots of it. which lo- It looks really cool for a late NES game. I- I've played the Sega Genesis version. As a matter of fact, I've got that one and the Super Nintendo version. And on normal, that game is so hard to me. Oh yeah, those games were like really, really difficult.
0: Kind of like one of those fighting game deals where the computer kind of knew what you were going to do before you put the input in
1: and it would get ready for it. Plus, you know, as a Street Fighter II clone and everything, I, I, it's not quite up to par as far as being responsive like Street Fighter II was. Of course, I was a little bit biased too when I played because I'd always choose uh, Casey Jones and everything. I don't know, maybe his set just isn't very good, or I just stunk as him, but I just thought he looked cool, so I'd always stick with him, and I'd always lose. <laughs> eh, it's a hard game. I mean, you have to. it seems like you
0: have to know at least one special move per character, to even have a have a chance of winning the fight. Yeah. And they were, it was really weird, like, for NES controllers. Like, I know Casey Jones had a move that was, like, quarter circle back to forward that would do a, uh, a move. And then he had another one, I think it was, like, down and back, and then the attack. So it was kind of odd button configuration. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Jago from Killer Instinct a little bit. Yeah, he kind of plays like him in a way. I never thought of that, but that's true. He was <laughs> the only one I was any good with. Yeah, I know. That was your guy, wasn't it? That was my guy, yeah. We had a we had a great battle. I think you had Saberwolf and I had Jago, and I was going to say, it was like one of those that went like four rounds because <laughs> we knocked each other out at the same time. And...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I always thought uh Saberwolf's combos were very, very easy. You know, basically a lot of his combos were just back, forward, and certain buttons. Do they have similar combo systems in tournament fighters?
0: Kind of, it's, I noticed the game kind of slowed down a little bit when you would land a hit, like it was registering with the the computer, and, like, if you, if you could time it just right, like, you could just do, like, a combo chain of, like, up punches, down kicks, head kicks, down punches, like, it was, if you figured the pattern out, it was really weird how the computer just kind of let you beat up on it. Yeah, were there any, like, flickers or anything like that? Yeah, there was some. You could you could tell that it was really pushing the NES graphics-wise with the the sprites on the screen.
1: Yeah, and, and another thing about the Termin Fighters game is I think it goes for thirty, forty. I've seen it even up to like fifty and sixty dollars just the cartridge alone for the NES because I think it came out in nineteen ninety-three, which for an NES game is very very late in their their lifespan. Yep, yeah, it was
0: it was one of the last. NES games released and it was the first like tournament fighting I think like Street Fighter clone tournament fighting game for the NES which I mean I think there were there were several games like Kung, not Kung Fu but like Karate Champ and you know others that borrowed from I should say from Street Fighter the one on one fighting but mm-hmm. none of them were as graphically intense and had like the,
1: the move input like tournament fighters did for NES right right well, nice, nice. Well, I had a Ninja Turtles pick myself. I've been playing a little bit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan, thanks to John, who had a couple of good tracks he put on uh, Nerd Noise Radio. <laughs> it kind of inspired me a little bit. did a little bit of research on the game, because I wanted to find out exactly when it had come out. I, to be honest, I had bought it from on, on eBay, I guess, about three or four years ago, for like a dollar, maybe two dollars, and then was shipping another two dollars. I got it for you know about five dollars. And I was like, wow, that's a great deal. I've got a Turtles game for my Game Boy. Yay! And I never even played it. I had it sitting in the shelf, <laughs> and I was like, oh, one day I'll, I'll play this game. Finally, since, you know, we had this whole Turtle theme, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do it now. I'm going to try to do it right now. I actually got hooked on the game. I thought it was it's a great game. But anyways, uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan, it was released as... Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles follow the Foot Clan in Europe, and just Mm -hmm. uh, simply Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in Japan in in 1990 uh, for for the Game Boy, and it's a Konami game. I was just kind of curious, because I'd always heard the stories about it, but I want to do my own research on it. Why did Europe have the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles title and logo? The main answer to that is censorship. Uh, Mm -hmm. Upon TMNT's, uh, the Ninja Turtles' first arrival in countries like the UK and... Italy and Ireland, Sweden, uh, and a bunch of other countries. The name was changed to Teenage Mutant uh, I keep wanting to say Teenage Mutant Ninja.
0: (laughs) That's okay. That's what we're used to.
1: That's right. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. um, uh, The local censorship policies deemed the word ninja to have too much of a violent connotation to it for for like a children's program because this game was based on the cartoon. It wasn't based on Mm -hmm. the comic books. Ireland still kept the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on their, their station that first season. And then in, in the second season, they finally changed it to, to match everybody else in the censorship in Europe. Because of the censorship, everything had to change. The comics, the toy lines, the video games, and even some of the music. And as you know the song, right? The main song. Mm-hmm. Well, even the lyrics to the main song were changed from Splinter taught them to be ninja teens to Splinter taught them to be fighting teens.
0: <laughs> huh.
1: Splinter taught them to be fighting teens. <laughs> Just doesn't have the same, the same
0: thought for me. I think of like a bunch of kids in a parking lot beating each other up.
1: <laughs> I know. And, and the thing that bothers me about this is, doesn't this kind of beg the question, you know, okay, they, they said ninja has a negative connotation to it. Okay, well, so does fighting, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be
0: like the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, and I'm going to be a fighting teen, and I'm going to punch people.
1: In- <laughs> I know, I know. Why did, they take, why did they take Ninja out and then put fighting in there? It's like they took one term out and then put an equally negative connotative word in there. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways, it was kind of funny. So Europe's policies, they, they also banned Michelangelo's nunchucks in the, the cartoon. So most of the time, you know, he might have had his nunchucks in certain scenes and everything like that, but he almost never, and that actually goes for most of the, the Turtles, they almost never used their weapons. After a few seasons, the creators got rid of Mikey's nunchucks altogether and instead gave him a, gr- a grappling hook uh, called the Turtle Line. So I just thought that was pretty interesting.
0: I was going to say, I like the Turtle Line. It sounds like a, a hotline you would call to talk to the Turtles.
1: <laughs> Here are some words that rhyme with turtle. Squirtle. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) Oddly enough, the the weird thing is about it, uh, or uh, ironically, in the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film, uh, the movie still included the word ninja in it. So, you know, fortunately, by the time the second cartoon had come out in 2003... Uh, that ban, that censorship on the word ninja, was kind of abolished, and you know Michelangelo was able to use his nunchucks again and everything like that. So, so a lot of times when they say or when people refer to the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in Europe, they immediately think of the 1987 series, you know, because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series was actually referring to the 2003 series. So, uh, back to the game. The game's based around the 1987 cartoon series, and it came out about four months before the NES port of the famous uh, TMNT arcade game. So this was an early Turtles video game, and the very first Game Boy Turtles game. Uh, the, the Turtles first Game Boy game is fairly, it's, it's kind of, it's very, very simple, and uh, simplistic in its gameplay. Uh, mm-hmm. You can have, of course, you can choose between the Turtles, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, Uh, Krang's in the game Shredder's in the game April of course you have to rescue her like always Uh, the graphics are very cartoony like I don't know if you've noticed this but even the Ninja Turtles they look fat (laughs) (laughs) they do I don't don't know if they've uh, uh, been chowing down on too much pizza or something but I I know they have shells and everything but they still look chubby Uh, I I played as uh, Donatello and man he just looks fat to me (laughs) yeah maybe maybe he let himself go you never know yeah (laughs) That's right, you know, they, You know, at that point they were, they were, at the peak of their popularity, they can kind of sit back a little bit and, you know, just kind of relax and take it all in, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing I noticed were the foot soldiers have really, really big heads, and one nice feature is that you can actually customize the controls of the game uh, at the start of it, so that, that was pretty cool. Another thing I noticed is the player's five main stages to this game. Uh, And uh, stage one, that's the city streets and the sewers. And I think the sewers is uh, where the track that John had put on Nerd Noise Radio, that's the track, I think. Uh, If my memory serves me well, which it probably doesn't. (laughs) The the first boss of the game is Rocksteady. Uh, Stage two is the factory, and uh, the first boss is Bebop there, or I'm sorry, the second boss is Bebop. Stage three is the the convoy, and Baxter Stockman's in that one. Stage four are the the caverns. Shredder is the uh, the boss of that one, uh, and then stage five. Who do you think the uh, in the technodrome? Who's the main boss, my man? I'm gonna say Krang. Ah, uh, and I'm gonna say you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, Krang is definitely the main boss and uh, I didn't, of course I didn't make it to stage 5. I got up to stage 4, and it just kicked my butt, and I was getting tired. I had to go to bed. It was, I, was, yeah, I was already up until about 11 o'clock playing it. I, I didn't get up to stage 5, but it's a relatively easy game, and you can beat it pretty quickly. Obviously, there are only five stages. And, I, and I, the one thing that I, I just cracked me up every time is like once you get to the end of a stage, the turtle just jumps up into the sky like 40 feet in the air. <laughs> like he's blasting off. He's like, I'll see you guys. I'm out of here. Oh, going back to the moon. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I noticed that, and that just kind of cracked me up. Also, the last thing I noticed about the game, the music is really, really good. And I, I, I was so impressed with the music. And and, and really, just the, the Game Boy sound hardware is really good. Um, very, very intricate for such a an early gaming system. But I searched up the composer, and her name was Machiru Yamani. I I searched up a lot of the other works that she did. She's credited for composing loads of Castlevania games. Uh, One of my favorite ones, Castlevania Bloodlines. I think your favorite, Symphony of the Night. Oh, yes. Yeah, she composed for that. And just about every Castlevania game for the Game Boy Advance and the DS. Uh, She even composed for my favorite series, Sukaden uh, 3 and 4, which isn't too shabby, man. I guess that was basically it. Oh, no, 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 no. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, and that was the box art. Have you ever seen the box art of this game? I think so. Wasn't it like all the turtles standing back to back, like surrounded, getting yeah. ready to get in sight? Yeah, that's exactly like, I love the box art of this game. The, the turtles are stuck in the sewer, uh, and they're surrounded by a bunch of foot soldiers. And if you look, if you pay attention to the bottom part of the artwork, you see just a Barely see a piece of Shredder's helmet and his claws. He's like holding two spears and he's about to throw them at the turtles. Uh, so it's just it, it's kind of frozen in that action scene and it's so good and and it's kind of dark. Of course, obviously it's the sewers, It's going to be dark, but it's just the way it's drawn. I would love to know who had drawn that. Uh, I I was actually looking for a website just dedicated to. Uh, box art uh, for old NES, Game Boy games, you know, because I love the way some of these games look, and that's part of the reason why I hate digital downloads so much, because I love looking at games sometimes. I couldn't find anything. I was kind of running out of time when I was planning for for this podcast and everything, and I just couldn't seem to find anything that was really, really extensive. So, if there's any listeners out there that know who had drawn this box art for Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan, let us know. Send us an email, please. That's pretty sweet box art. I do like that one. I remember that one as a kid. Overall, it's a awesome, awesome... No, no, no. It's a gnarly game, man. There you go. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan for the Game Boy. And I guess that's it for the retro games we've been playing, my man. And now it's time for Retro News. So Landon, you got any retro news for us, my man?
0: I do. Um, this one, um, this one is actually some big news for uh, RPG fans. Ooh. The article is called "Earthbound Coming to Wii U." <gasps> yes, and it says that after nearly 20 years, when the, since the original Earthbound came out on Super Nintendo, that it's coming back and that it's going to be on the uh, virtual console for the Wii U. That makes me very happy. <laughs>
1: Jay Murph Murphy, you know, from Murphy's Law that we were talking about earlier in the show, he, one of his first games was that game, and I think it was even in the box, and I was like, how did you find that? <laughs> yeah, seriously, because <laughs> that's for some major dough. I know, I know, and and I know on eBay that they go for close to $100. So Oh yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, at least, you know, you must have just found a good deal on it, but man, I, what a great game to start with, huh? Oh yeah, definitely, and that's a and if you've got
0: a Wii U, I mean, and you've never played this game, give it a chance. It's a little quirky. I mean, you have to have a sense of, a, a kind of out there sense of humor to get some of the jokes, but it's an RPG just set in a modern town, basically. And you go around the world, you know, with your getting other folks to join your party and you're fighting against an alien who's been on taking over the world and you know, it's, it's your basic stop the world from being taken over plot, but you do you go all over the world. I mean, you go from a town to a desert to kind of like a Arctic Canadian type level. Well, not level, but map. Not Canadian, uh, eh? yeah. Take off, you you, you don't know. <laughs> no way, I'm not taking off. No you way, don't. you will. Anyway, <laughs> we can Canadian banter all, all day. But, uh, yeah, Earthbound is. It's a solid RPG. It's it's a little weird. Some of the enemies are kinda funny, like there's a spiteful crow and a happy happy uh hippie communist <laughs> you know, that's from a hippie commune. I mean, it's it's crazy. It but it's it's one of those like this is a really good, really fun, awesome game. It's a good way to spend several days, <laughs> in my
1: opinion. Well, Landon, you had me at hippie man. <laughs> I, I know. You're all, you're all about the hippie lifestyle, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So when, when is it actually going to be released on the Wii U?
0: Let's see. It is going to be this year. It's, it doesn't say... Nintendo's not really given a date, mm-hmm. but they're saying that it will be out sometime this year for the Wii U. Oh, that's awesome. For the Virtual Console. And a lot of folks are saying the reason why is because of the low sales of the Wii U. That Nintendo is... You know, people begged and begged and begged them to release it onto the Wii Virtual Console, and they're like, no, no, you know, we can't can't do that, can't do that. A lot of the, the posters on the article, the article actually is on uh, RetroWare TV, mm-hmm. if you're interested in just reading and watching the little accompanying video that comes with it. A lot of the posters on there are saying that that's one of the main reasons why Nintendo just kind of held it in their back pocket as a trump card was in case they released a system that was kind of doing bad they could kind of help bolster sales oh that's so smart that is a very smart idea i would consider buying a wii u just for that i mean that game is like i said it's one of those quirky rare gems that everybody should at least give a chance once in their life yeah i kind of wonder how much they would
1: want to sell it for I'm assuming it would just be, like, the normal virtual console price for a game. Yeah, yeah, gosh, I hope so. I mean, really, you're just you're just paying for the ROM. You're not actually paying for the card and everything, so. Exactly. Yeah, well, that sounds awesome. That I, That's another reason, like, there, there are two games that I really, really want to play. And, of course, it's the HD version of Wind Waker and now this. So, I, I just, those two games alone, and they're, they're, they're old games, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they aren't new releases, but still, those old games still draw me in to want to buy new systems. They they get me every time, man. That's right. They're, you know, they're just addicting. when I think I'm just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. This is a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet man, that's awesome. So, Earthbound for the Wii U sometime this year. That's definitely something to look forward to. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I did find a, a, a kind of a cool article, apparently there's news about, did you ever hear about the Sega Neptune? No, I haven't. Okay, well, I, I didn't either, I'd never heard of this, but apparently it's actually pretty well known uh, among a lot of hardcore Sega fans, apparently this came out toward the latter stages of the Sega Saturn life cycle, uh, and right before the, the Dreamcast had come out and one of the, I guess it was a Sega developer I, he never I, I never did find his name oh and by the way I got this from retrocollect.com I never did find out exactly who he was but he says he had a prototype of the Sega and he showed me or, well he didn't show me <laughs> I was going to say if he showed you man <laughs> put hiding him, you know. him yeah. yeah he's in my Let closet right now it. I feed him a piece of cheese every three hours <laughs> here's your cheese Mr. <laughs> developer <laughs> thanks buddy so anyways, what it is, it's basically a Sega Saturn, and it looks very, very similar to like a Neo Geo, but it's a Sega Saturn that actually has Ethernet, cap- or no, I'm sorry, uh, a network adapter in it, so it could connect to the internet. So that was like the first kind of disk-based console, uh, kind of ahead of its time, to be able to um, uh, connect to the internet, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, but for some reason, they only made two prototypes. And what this article is about is the Sega developer. He posted pictures of uh, the one he had. That he, you know, I guess when he got laid off from Sega, he took that with him. He took pictures of it and everything, and he, he took a picture underneath it, and it said Sega-02. And he claimed that there was one more out there somewhere. And the RetroCollect article actually features, apparently, when that article was released, when the Sega developer put out this kind of notice saying, hey, if there's anybody out there who has the first prototype, if you'd just like to, you know, send a video or something like that, or just, you know, show us where where it is, uh, just so they know, you know, and see if it's getting good hands, I guess. (laughs) And sure enough, like, two or three weeks after the Sega writer had put this out there, there was a video response on YouTube, and somebody had found the Sega one, or somebody had had it, and uh, never really knew what it was. They had gotten it at a yard sale. So, it was really cool. There are only two in, in that were ever made. So, uh, mm. yeah, both are accounted for. So, I thought that was really neat. That's cool, and that's cool that they're still,
0: you know, together after all that time, too. Like, not together as in, hey, we're
1: together, but, you know, together as in, hey, it's not broken into a million little pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy who responded to the Sega guy, uh, he basically said the only the only flaw with it, and sure enough, it was number one. Mm-hmm. The only flaw with it is that the, the tray, the door wouldn't shut, and he actually had to put something over it so it, that way it would read the disc. But other than that, mm-hmm. he said it worked great. Sweet. If you're listening, Sega, please release
0: that to the public would be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I have another one. Uh, the next one I have uh, comes from retrocollect.com as well. It's an article saying, our Nintendo Power Fest 94 reproduction carts on the way? And basically what it is, they had a Nintendo hosted an event called PowerFest 94. Uh, a lot of people called it Nintendo World Championships Part 2. <laughs> and, you know, they would... Like the World Championships, you know, you would have several Nintendo games and you would play through and try to get a higher score and beat everybody. But unlike the first one where the winners got to keep the cartridge, all the cartridges were destroyed basically. They were put into a fire and never seen from again. Wow. Um, Apparently, one, or not one, but two of those actually survived. And one of their surviving carts is in the hands of a, a gentleman who kind of runs a gaming... I don't know if it's a store or website, it doesn't say it, just says JJ Games. His name is JJ Hendricks. Put $12,000 down on this bad boy to secure it. And he's been working with the emulation community and creating ROMs from the game's uh, file code and releasing them online. Wow, nice. That's awesome. Um, it's Super Mario Brothers, The Lost Levels. Then you do a quick round of Super Mario Kart. And then with the time left, you have to score as many home runs as possible in Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. Oh, cool. You know, they created the ROM files, but it wasn't able to run on any Super Nintendo emulators that were out there. So this uh, J.J. Hendricks guy offered a $1,000 bounty to the first person to su- successfully get the competition device working in an emulator. <laughs> and apparently figured out how to do it. And there, in the article on RetroCollect, there is a YouTube video of the game being played in an actual console emulator type setup. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, but they said it was basically the Nintendo World Championships too, but
1: on Super Nintendo. Golly, could you... Alright, let me ask you this. I'm just curious. Okay, if you had $12,000 and you really wanted a game like that, would you buy it? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to really, really want it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: like, I could think of a lot of things to do with, with twelve grand. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, gosh, it'd be, it'd be hard. I think what I would do, instead of getting like a little cartridge, I think I'd invest in a few arcade cabinets or something like that if I had the money. Yeah, I, w- I would probably do a few arcade cabinets and then sack the rest of it back for whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pay all the bills first, you know, and then if I have a little bit left over... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are the ROMs free
0: to download? Um, supposedly. There are several links within the story that kind of steer you toward getting the ROMs since you can't really promote ROMs and emulators right. openly. Yeah, and... Especially with it never being released outside of those competitions,
1: you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, the only other article that I had uh, had found was uh, Brett Hull Hockey for the Atari Jaguar. And this was a game that, uh, while Atari, while the Atari Jaguar never released Brett Hull Hockey for retail, there had always been rumors of like a, a prototype of it. And apparently, a ROM of the Atari Jaguar's Brett Hull Hockey game was found and has now been updated with the 2012-2013 roster of NHL players. So, yeah, so you could play, you know, as Claude Giroux from the Philadelphia Flyers on your Atari Jaguar.
0: (laughs) Oh, would you want to do that, though? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, this year. I, uh, but anyways, two homebrew developers known as the Atari Jaguar Homebrew Specialist and Freddie Fredo, I guess that's his nickname. Uh, they developed this ROM and updated all the rosters, the teams. They kind of upgraded the speed a little bit to run a lot faster, and even a little bit of the, uh, gave it a little bit of a graphical facelift. So uh, this Brett Hole ROM, it's known as JHL, uh, is free to download at Reboot atariorg slash new dash reboot so check that out if you want to download it i think it's a free download so uh brett hall hockey if you ever want to play that on the atari jaguar it is there with updated rosters yeah and i guess that's it for the retro news all right i guess it's time for what's randomly retro so landon well uh, what randomly retro things have you found my man found a
0: really cool article on RetroWare TV called The Physics of Batman. <gasps> cool. And it, it's basically a guy trying to explain from a physics point of view how Batman can do, like, the wall jumps and all the other amazing things he can do in the NES Batman. Wow. <laughs> it's <a> really? <laughs> really? Funny article. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, like, he talks about how... Batman has to have like some really good spikes in his shoe to be able to hang off the wall and like yeah. how many pounds those spikes would be able to hold if Batman's an average human and Well, you know he's kinda built, so you know, it's, it's gotta be a lot it's just gotta be a lot of spikes on his shoes. He's got bat spikes. He can he can hang wherever he wants to. <laughs> he could be a million pounds and if he had bat spikes, man, he could hang upside down. <laughs> Don't even care he'd do it. Yeah. Just be hanging out, you know? That's right, man. That's be, you know like, like, a, like a regular vampire bat, you know, just, just hanging upside down, being like, yo, what's up? My bat spikes are in the roof. like, Batman, how you doing that? Man, spack bat spikes. Shush.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I created him, man. You got a problem? <laughs> yeah, I'm Bruce Wayne. I got a
0: million dollars. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Did he talk about anything else? Um, he talked about how Batman can punch people till they explode in that game. You know you're pretty. You know you're pretty strong. I don't even know if Chuck Norris could do that. I don't know. I think, I think Chuck Norris and Batman need to have a contest to see who can make the biggest explosion by punching someone. <laughs> now it's yeah, NES man. Batman. You know those other Batman. They just kind of knock
1: the guy out. Right. NES, right. Yeah, no, they blow up. They blow up. They, yeah. That's, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's funny. That's right. Uh,
0: no, nah, he he talked about how yeah. Batman. How many, like, how he would have to jump to be able to jump and then hang off of a wall, like all the, the forces involved in him doing that. It was pretty cool, and apparently he references another article in his Batman article about the physics of Mega Man. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> how Mega Man can do what he does. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I got references, like, static vacuum air packs in the air to make Mega Man change
1: direction in the <laughs> air. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew he had that. He's cheating. <laughs> yeah. Cheat that's, go, not, that's not I, fair for the Master Robots. They don't have those. No,
0: nah, man, they, they're just made out of wood. <laughs> like one of them's a box fan. I mean, Airman. One of them's a, a log with some legs on it. <laughs> yeah, poor wood man. I mean, a robot made out of wood. Bless his heart. Like the only one that's even remotely scary is Metal Man, and like he throws that saw blade at you and misses. He's not got anything. <laughs> Yeah, if you, he's this, like, "Oh, could you give me my saw blade back, please? I'm hey, I'm gonna throw it at you again, but but this time
1: don't move." It's like, "Hey, man, could you could you kind of hand me that?" Move <laughs> to the left now. Now, now that you've given me my saw blade, thank. Here it comes. <laughs> That's sweet. Well, so what did you say the the writer's name was again? Uh,
0: let's see. The writer's name of this article is. It's actually just the physics of video games is what he's he posts under on the. The, the website. Awesome, awesome. Well, check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I like it. Sweet. <laughs> he's also he's the he posts under the physics of video games, and he signs off on the article as Dan.
1: Awesome. Well, Dan, we appreciate it, man. Dan's the man. Dan's the man, especially with Batman physics. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's the Batman of physics. Yeah, with bat spikes. <laughs> bat spikes. <laughs> Alright, well I found, a, I found an article on uh, Nintendo Force about Castlevania then and now. And, and it's, this is a really cool article that it's not a direct timeline necessarily as it is more about how Castlevania has constantly reinvented itself. And that is true. Like out of all the franchises from the from the 80s to now, a lot of them sometimes they get stale. A lot of them sometimes they they just try to do the same thing over and over again trying to recapture that magic. And Castlevania for the most part, at least early on, didn't do that. They 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 constantly reinvented themselves in a way that was fresh. Were so different from the previous sequels that some people some of the traditional gamers didn't like that. But you've got to give him credit for at least trying to do something different. And here's what the kind of the prelude to the entire article was about. I'm just going to read the first few lines of it. It says, Castlevania's third game began just as the previous two had, with players taking control of stiff-jumping, slow-walking Belmont. Just as we resigned ourselves once again to the series' intentionally limited mobility, though, the game changed entirely with the introduction of Grant Dynasty." Recruited as a second playable hero at the end of the game's second level, Grant amazed fans with his Spider-Man-like movements. He could actually scale sheer walls. He could squeeze through tiny one-block gaps. He could even crawl straight across ceilings. He had the bat spikes. He he did. They were the Grant spikes in that game. (laughs) It was a brilliant mix-up for the series' status quo, and it instantly made Grant a new fan-favorite character for nearly every Vania player for the NES age. And that's true. Like, you look at the first game, it was great for what it was, you know. It, mm-hmm. the, although the the controls were kind of sluggish, uh, the monsters and everything, and just the blend between B-movie monsters or classic monster movie monsters and Greek mythology to cram that all into one, all the, and even with a little bit of historical fiction in there with uh, Dracula and everything, I, that made for a really cool game, a really cool concept. That was really unique. And then when Castlevania II came out, much to some people's chagrin, It was very, very different. You know, it had a lot of role-playing game elements to it. Uh, There were loads of uh, RPG elements, like you could upgrade your whip, you could talk to the townspeople to find out where you needed to go. Um, You know, and sure, some fans didn't like this one because it was too different, and it was definitely cryptic in its gameplay, but at least it wasn't another (laughs) sequel of the same exact thing, you know? This is true, and it was also the first game to say, what a
0: horrible night for a curse. Right, which has become like a catchphrase that symbolizes the whole series.
1: I've never known of A Good Night to Have a Curse. Maybe yeah. Halloween. I mean, you'd blend in with all the trick-or-treaters. But. Right, right. Super Castlevania, they also reinvent reinvented uh, the gameplay a lot. At first, you know, that first stage, you, you think, oh, man, well, Simon, he seems kind of stiff and, and sluggish moving. But then you realize right away, when you start uh, uh, whipping that whip, <laughs> licorice Crack whip, whip. <laughs> <laughs> um, You you notice that Simon can whip up, down, uh, diagonal, in and, and lots of different directions that he couldn't before. Uh, it also had like th- pseudo-3D stages, better control of like the whips, uh, more weapons and everything. So again, it kind of reinvented itself. And then, of course, Symphony of the Night came out. Uh, and obviously, that... The cool thing about Symphony of the Night is it starts off like a, like a traditional Castlevania game. You know, the very beginning of the game, you start off as Richter Belmont, you're walking up the steps, you know you have that limited mobility again you kill you kill dracula and then it's like the game turns itself upside down uh and the the whole gameplay and everything is different uh you know ca- uh, Alucard runs as fast as he can into the the castle uh there's a lot more of a fluid movement in in his style um, it, it's got a lot of role playing game elements in it the music's fantastic uh, it's just i don't know. But the the thing that was interesting about this article is Symphony of the Night, it, it came out, what, 96, six, seven, or something like that? Yeah, that, it was mid to late 90s. Yeah, that's a, that's a, can you believe that's 15 years ago?
0: I can't. I feel old now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks, Rob.
1: And so many games, like on the, the Game Boy Advance and the DS, they kind of tried to copy that a little bit. And, and, and that formula, you know, it only works so many times before it gets old lord of shadow was the the first game really to again reinvent the series in in a lot of ways uh and i've never actually beaten the game and i know you have haven't you oh yeah lord of the shadow is a great one if you've got a modern itch
0: play that one that's that's a good game
1: yeah yeah and apparently there's a uh a sequel to it on the ds right now that's pretty cheap i mean like 30 bucks but you know for another castlevania game that's awesome yeah, it was just kind of talking about for a while. Things got a little bit stagnant in the in the late '90s and, and early 2000s. But by the time Lord of Shadow came out, I guess 2010 or 2011, uh, it seems like the the series is starting to revive itself and it kind of opening it itself up to a whole new generation of gamers. So uh, it's just really cool to see that Castlevania is continuing to reinvent itself.
0: Oh yeah, it's a good it's a good series. I mean, I still to play the older ones and. Some of what I like to call the middle age Castlevania, like Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night games, just to kind of compare and contrast how different they really were. Yeah. Essentially, they were the same story with mm-hmm. different ways of going about to the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and even, I forgot about the Nintendo 64 games. They were, you know, they were really ambitious. You know, they, they tried to do a lot of things, but I just think Castlevania wasn't ready, or maybe I should phrase it this way, Nintendo 64 wasn't ready to have that huge, expansive 3D environment for Castlevania yet. You know, I don't know, it just seemed like that hardware or the graphics or the capabilities of the system, uh, as ambitious as Castlevania wanted to be, just didn't. it just didn't work. You know, it was clunky, it was blocky, the controls were very, very glitchy, and the premise of the games were pretty good, uh, the, uh, the stories were pretty good, and some of the gameplay was okay, but overall, it was not up to the standard. It was not up to par to a lot of the other Castlevania games out there, you know, Symphony of the Night, uh, the uh, Super Castlevania, and things like that, and Ca- Dracula X. That's... love me some Dracula X, or not Dracula X, but Symphony
0: of the Night, oh, just because. So good. Just because it had the the voice acting was a little, eh, it's okay, I guess.
1: Hey, hey, you want to reenact the first scene? Oh, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> reenact the first thing. I won't be Dracula, though. Okay. I don't know if I remember all the lines, but I'll start it. Die, monster. You don't belong in this world.
0: It was not by my hand that I am once again
1: given flesh. <laughs> I was brought here by humans who wish to pay me tribute. Wow, good memory. Uh, you steal men's souls and make them your slaves.
0: The same could be said for all religions. And then Richter says something to him, and then he goes, What is a man? A miserable little
1: pile of secrets. But enough talk. And then he slams the wine glass I down. I love that part.
0: Have at you!
1: Oh, I love that part. Let me ask you this. Have you ever actually died in that beginning scene? I have. I
0: on want just to see what it would do.
1: And Maria, like, doesn't she revive you? Richter! <laughs> you need your strength!
0: And then you become like Super Richter, who's like glowing like a rainbow, who just like <laughs> slaps Dracula
1: upside the head and says, be gone, dude. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's And what a cool opening for a game, you know? It's it's starting at the very end, the, the very climax of the previous game, and then it, it starts the new game. I just thought that was an excellent opening. That was a
0: good opening, and you really don't know why you're playing as Alucard. It's like, well, Dracula's dead. Richter
1: killed him. Right. Right, I know that. that that's just—it's a, a very mysterious opening, but it hooks you immediately. Oh, and the music in that game—you remember the electric guitars at the beginning? Oh yeah, that's that's a great way to start that game. Yeah, you're walking up the steps, you're about to fight uh, Dracula, and meanwhile you're you're jamming to some heavy metal. That's right. <laughs> Get pumped up for the fight. I still like the library music in that game, Classic. where
0: you find the librarian and he goes, "It's been a long time, old friend." Yeah. <laughs> They talk, and he's like, I cannot aid one who is against the master, but <laughs> like, can you not help me, seeing as how I am your master? Well, when you put it that way... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, Symphony of Night's a good one, man. I, I've actually beaten it. I've beaten it several ways. I've beaten it to the point where I killed Richter, I think. You, you can do that, can't you? Well,
0: Yeah, why would you do that?
1: Because yeah, <laughs> I was lazy. <laughs> yeah, That's
0: probably what I would do, too. I've never beaten that one. I'm like three quarters of the way through it. Did you turn the castle upside down? Not yet. I'm at the part where you're kind of getting ready to do the the fight that turns it upside down. Oh, you're at a good part, man. I'm just kind of wandering around right now, though. Hey, you ought to do a Game Diaries on that. I should. I really like that game. I've got it. uh, I think I bought it on the PlayStation 3 store and got it saved on my PS3 somewhere.
1: Well, uh, did you find anything else, man, randomly retro?
0: I did. Um, It's an article, RetroWare TV again. Uh, called Nintendo's five biggest screw ups. <laughs> uh, it's posted by a gentleman or lady, uh, T Beauregard, and basically it's just Nintendo's five biggest screw ups. Hmm. Like number five was putting Star Fox in a game that he didn't belong in, the Star Fox Adventures.
1: Uh, you know, like, I never played that.
0: It talks about how it was just it was going to be its own standalone game called Dinosaur Planet and because nobody really knew any of the characters and they weren't established, they're like, oh, well, just throw Star Fox in there and call it Star Fox Adventures. (laughs) And they said, you know, that left a bitter taste in people's mouth because, you know, you had Star Fox 64 before that, which is awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. And the the one for Super Nintendo is really good, too, with the FX chip. I really like that one. Um, They talk about one of the other mistakes was the mishandling of Metroid in the U.S. market. And I kind of agree with that. You know, Metroid doesn't really get a lot of press. That is true, and it's a it's a decent game series, except for other M, from what I'm told. But mm-hmm. you know,
1: the the Super Nintendo Metroid is like one of the best Super Nintendo like action games you can play. Yeah, yeah, I've heard so many people say that that's their number one favorite game of all time is Super Metroid. And I, you know, to be honest, I never really played a lot of it. I was just never I never wanted to get into it so bad. Like and maybe that is part to blame for what you're saying, you know, maybe it wasn't pushed well enough or maybe it wasn't advertised as well as it should have been.
0: It really wasn't. I mean, even like the NES Metroid really wasn't pushed much in magazines or on TV or anything, just, you know, the occasional snippet. Uh, oh. Talks about the Virtual Boy being one of their biggest failures. Uh, I figured that'd make it in there somewhere. <laughs> this one's actually a pretty good point to, mm-hmm. to emphasize on this. Losing the Final Fantasy franchise back during the PlayStation
1: 1 battle. Oh, yes, yes. I don't know the whole story behind that, but boy, that seems like a blow to the Nintendo.
0: You know, they had made, what, 1 through, one through 6 in Japan and yeah. 1... One, two, and three here. Right, right. In the U.S. and you know they're they're good games. They're solid RPGs. Oh, they're great. I mean, I and I then, love those games. And then you know, you know, six comes out, you beat it. You know, this new PlayStation's on the market, and all of a sudden it's like Final Fantasy 7
1: for PlayStation, and it's like, well,
0: what happened to the other four? <laughs> and why is it not on Nintendo? Why is it not on the N sixty four?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember thinking that too because I had played three first. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome, because I originally thought it was going to be Final Fantasy IV, you know, coming out next, and it would be on a newer console, and it would be a lot of the same characters and everything. Then when I saw Final Fantasy VII, I was like, whoa, 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 what am I I missing here? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. But it
0: says the number one, and, you know, you can read the article for more details on this at Retroware TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number one mistake that Nintendo ever made was creating the PlayStation. You know you know the story behind that, how they were looking for a CD-based add-on to the SNES, and they signed a contract with Sony. Oh, to have yeah, Sony... yeah. That indirectly led to the PlayStation. Yeah, didn't Sony, like, have some chips in early
1: Nintendo systems? They do, the sound chip, and the SNES, I think, is a Sony chip. That's right, that's right. Yeah, so, I wonder what the bad blood was between them. Like,
0: apparently... Nintendo said, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna work with Sony, and everything's good." And like Nintendo goes behind Sony's back to Philips Magnavox and says, "Hey, Philips Magnavox, design something for our Super Nintendo to be added on with CDs." And they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, we'll do that." And Sony's just kind of left out in the du- in the in the laundry, you know, just saying, "Well, what about our thing?" And Nintendo's like, "Well, you know, yours is good, but we're we're gonna go with Philips Magnavox." and Sony had invested so much time and money into their add-on. They're like, well, why don't we just make it a standalone uh, console?
1: Yeah. And that's how the PlayStation came to be. And I'll tell you what, the PlayStation wiped the floor with uh, uh, the Saturn, with the 64. You know, they, they definitely won that race. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was the games and, and Sony. I mean, Sony, Sony's hard to compete with yeah and even to this day uh, you know arguably I don't know about this last or this current generation you know who's considered the victor of that one but uh, I don't know Sony's been they've been on top of for I'd say uh, the Playstation 1 and the Playstation 2 eras I'd say they've they've won the sales on that I mean, I, I yeah. could be wrong. I don't know the statistics or anything, but it just seems like there were a lot more people that I knew who had a PlayStation 2 versus a Nintendo GameCube or had a PlayStation yeah. 1 versus the 64, so...
0: I was going to say, everybody that you know, you can name if they've got a PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2. Yeah. You can just say, oh, yeah, they've got that. I know, because, you know, we've, we've traded games. You don't know that about the <laughs> uh, the GameCube and the N64, you know... Mm-hmm. That was that
1: was during the time you know when you were either Sony, Nintendo, or Sega, one of right. the three. Right. <laughs> I miss I miss there being uh, you know, I, I just miss Sega being in the race, man. I I so miss that.
0: <laughs> I wish they would bring a console back. I really do. Sega, yeah. if you're listening, please make a
1: console. Yeah, please. We please love you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I li- I like I love the idea that they're still making Sonic games, but these Sonic games just aren't the same. They're not no, they're the not. same. He looks different. I don't like the way he looks now. I like old Sonic. Yeah, me too. And old Tails
0: and old Knuckles.
1: Yeah, yeah. He had to get all cool looking. Yeah, another <laughs> too cool for school one. And... Yeah. and what happened to the chili dogs? Do they still eat those? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. That sounds like a really good article, man. Okay, I found an article, and I've become a huge fan of this website called DinosaurDracula.com. <laughs> I'd actually heard of the, uh, the Retro League podcast. It referenced this website one time. So I decided to give it a look, since it covered a lot of things retro. And let's put it this way. When I first saw it, it was like love at first sight, man. Like, <laughs> it, it really was, because every single thing that I enjoyed as a kid had somehow found its way onto this website. <laughs> it covers everything from the 80s, horror movies, retro games, action figures, discontinued food and drinks from the 80s and 90s, uh, pop culture, memorabilia. Anything else, even remotely retro or neo-retro? Does it <laughs> um, have clear Pepsi? I'm sure that's on there. I bet you it's on there. It did and have New Coke. Yeah, it, oh, New Coke, I think is on there. It also had. Uh, I noticed one food item was. Uh, remember the the twist uh, Twizzlers that you could peel off?
0: Yeah, the pull and peels.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently, I, I guess those are discontinued or or something. But but that made it on his website. And he was. I think he was talking about like Slimer High Seas one point at one point. Um, I remember those. Oh, those me too. Delicious. I drank them all the time. Uh, but let's put it this way. The first time I saw this site, um, a, an article dedicated to... Okay, let me just put it this way. When I first saw this site, the first thing I saw was an article dedicated entirely to Garth from Wayne's World.
0: <laughs> that's a pretty cool site. I'm yeah. just going to go ahead and tell you. Yeah,
1: that's uh, that's when I knew I loved this site. You know, I always think of that line, uh, remember when that lady, that real pretty lady, she's trying to kiss him and she's like, how about I put some romantic move, uh, music on? And he's like, uh... Got any Megadeth? Yeah. <laughs> 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 his glasses fog up. Anyways, so I found a few articles and or retrospectives about some random toys that the guy had. And some of them really stirred up a lot of good tri- childhood memories. Uh, the first one I saw was a, a great picture of the original Rat King action figure. And uh, I don't know the name of the writer of, of this, this site or the owner of this site. Um, he goes to describe the Rat King l- like this. Uh, here's like a, I wrote it down. It was really funny what he said. Uh, Here's what he wrote. He looked great on the cartoon, but the figure is even more demented. The unnatural bald patches and unholy red eyes really set the stage, and there's literally no body part that isn't covered in something awesome. Look close, and you'll even spot a giant centipede embedded in the Rat King's chest, thereby clarifying the character's brief flirtation with the alternative uh, alias of Centipede King. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and, uh, And also, is it just me? This is what he wrote, and also, is it just me, or does the Rat King look slightly like Biff Tannen? I wish Rat to the Future uh, (laughs) read read as good as it sounds, and I looked, you know, after I read that little description below, I scrolled back up and looked at the picture, and he looks just like Biff from Back to the Future. Oh my goodness. I never
0: saw that, but he does.
1: If Biff had red eyes and lived in the sewer and commanded rats, uh, it's the Rat King. The Biff King. Oh yeah,
0: the Biff King?
1: The Rat (laughs) Biff. (laughs) The Rat Bill. I like the Rat Bill. <laughs> Anyways, he had he had some GI Joe figures. He had a little Jack Dracula from um, the early '90s. It was which was a short-lived car- cartoon. He had Redlin from the in- Inhumanoids, which was an, a toy line and cartoon in the '80s that I'd never heard about. Um, and this is what he said about the Inhumanoids. He said. In Humanoids had a associated cartoon series, and part of me feels like I should explain the premise. Another part of me feels that the premise was way too ambitious to explain in less than 30 paragraphs. And that's the part of me I want to listen to. In summary, a group of heroic humans in garish exosuits contend with the assorted monsters above and below the earth's crust. I also seem to recall a bald man who was constantly smashing televisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. This sounds like a good cartoon. <laughs> Another thing he had on his uh, toy article was R2-D2 figure, which I actually have. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool to see. And it, this is what he wrote about it. I still prefer this style of the R2 to the newer ones, which typically skip the sticker full of robot parts for fully sculpted bodies. The heck with that, I love that sticker. In fact, I used to love it so much that I would always try to pry it off in the hopes of using it um, as a normal sticker. Maybe I'd put it on a marble notebook or something. And this was impossible unless you had a hairdryer or serious patience. All of my <laughs> scratching method did was ruin one R2 figure after another. I probably went through a dozen of these as a kid, because once R2 lost his robot sticker, he was just a trash can and a salad bowl. <laughs> 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 yeah. And well said, man, well said. <laughs> I like that, a
0: trash can and a salad bowl. Yeah. never
1: thought of that, but he, he kind of is. He really is. He also, did you ever hear of the Food Fighters toy line? Do you remember them? I had, I had some. It's me too, me too. I had a private... Uh, well, anyways, he shows um one. It's private pizza. I never had him, but I think I had a hamburger. I had a hamburger and a hot dog. <gasps> you had the hamburger too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I loved the Food Fighters toy line. I wish they would bring that back. Yeah, they were cool. Yeah. And the last toy that he featured that really cracked me up was... Have you ever heard of Stinkor from the Masters of the Universe? No, I haven't. <laughs> I've heard the name, but I can't picture him. Yeah, <laughs> minions and Stinkor was this mutant skunk who sought to defeat He-Man by smelling bad. <laughs> Although I, I never had the toy. Apparently, the guy who wrote this uh, from the article claims that he did, and it literally had a pungent odor to it. I couldn't make this up. It, this this toy really does smell bad. That's that's what they say. I actually talked to somebody on our Facebook page who actually agreed that it does smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want a stinkcore action figure, man. It looks really funny. No way, dude. You don't have to look far.
0: You Stinkor anyway.
1: <laughs> no, take off. You're the smelly one. You have to take a shower.
0: Yeah, well, I do take a shower every oh, day. What's yeah, your excuse right. for you, smelling you, bad? No
1: way, not... Well, shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I
1: win. <laughs> anyway, so great stuff on this site. Again, it's DinosaurDracula.com. All right, so I guess that's it for what's randomly retro, my man. And now it's time for our favorite segment. Character Trivia. Alright, here we go. Are you ready, my son? I'm ready. Okay, are you comfortable? Do you need a glass of water? I- I've got one, but thanks for asking. Oh, okay, okay. I don't even know. If you said yes, I, I wouldn't even know what to do. I'd be like, okay, go get the glass of water.
0: Hey, Black. Okay, hang on. I'm going to drive to your house, get
1: you <laughs> the water, give it to you, then drive back and continue. <laughs> Alright, here we go. This character made his first TV debut in 1989, and is six feet tall. Next clue. Krang found a way to put evil thoughts of the four Ninja Turtles in this character's head. Okay. Any ideas?
0: I've got one.
1: Okay. Oh, I think this one's gonna give it away. Alright, but anyways, I'm gonna say it. This character originally attacked the turtles, but Donatello found a way for this character to help them instead.
0: Oh, is it uh, Metal metal Turtle? Metal Turtle? Mecha Turtle? The, uh, the Robot Turtle?
1: Yeah, Metalhead! You're very good! Yeah. Dang, dang, did you want to hear my last clue? Let's hear it. Uh, this character had red eyes and weighs a quarter ton.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have gave it away, because I remember the toy of him having the red eyes. I had one. I loved him.
1: Oh, you did? Yep. Man! You still got it? somewhere was, well, hey man you gotta hook me up man
0: i think he's missing a leg because <laughs> that's a home for disabled ninja turtles now <laughs> yeah.
1: that's awesome man well good job man i think you're like i do i lost count i think you're like four for five now yay yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right my friend be gentle
0: all right this is of course a turtle character okay made his first appearance in the comic, Tales of the TMNT, number four. Oh, I, I, love, I love those uh, comics, by the way. He uh, stumbled upon the Turtles and Casey Jones by accident. Huh, okay. This is where you'll probably figure out where, who he is. After stumbling upon them... He thought them to be invaders taking over his territory, and chose to fight them. So it's a guy. Mm-hmm. Is he is he an like a common villain? He is a common villain, but okay. he's not a common villain in the comics. Oh. Uh, let's see. I'll give you some more clues. I've got several more. Okay. Ardo eventually beats him in a duel by flinging shurikens at him, which knock him off balance and send him plummeting into the bowels of the area they were
1: fighting in. Does anything happen to him? Does he mutate or anything? Or does anything... He doesn't mutate.
0: That's When Leonardo knocks him off, that's the last you hear of him until uh, the next part, City at War. Oh, gosh. Oh, um... Mmm... Give you another hint. Okay. Splinter communicates with his ghost. Oh and my gosh. His ghost gives him dreams. Or gives him advice through cryptic dreams. Oh.
1: I I don't know. I don't know this one.
0: I'll give you the last <laughs> if you can guess. Okay. <laughs> Splinter fought him in a kind of a I guess a Mm netherworld and was after he had defeated this character he was offered a a membership into a group of beings known as the Pantheon. Blenner turned down the Pantheon and they said that he would they would come to him one more time on his right before he died to offer him the chance to be this character reincarnated. Mm. So basically, what it is is Splinter beat him in a fight, mm-hmm. and the group that oversaw it said, When you choose to take this role, you will take over for him in
1: this position. Hmm. See, I didn't read the City of War comics, like tw- towards the end, I guess of the first volume, I, I didn't read because I didn't have them. I only have, I think, uh, I'd say probably about 10 issues of the original comics. Uh, from the first volume, so I I just flat—I out, I have no clue. It's the Rat
0: King. Oh wow! Really? He appeared to Splinter in dreams, telling him how to get stronger and how to rehabilitate a leg
1: that had been hurt. Oh man! I promise you, I'm not lying, but he was kind of in the back of my mind. I don't know why. I just thought, you know, he, he was kind of he, an uh, outcast. I don't know. I just I just thought it was him, uh, but I didn't he, say it. Like, he was living in a swamp,
0: and he went to an abandoned industrial park, and he came upon the turtles and Casey Jones' training, and he thought that they were invaders trying to take over his land, and he
1: challenged them to a fight. Oh, wow. Good one, man. You got me on that one. And I just talked about the toy. (laughs) Yeah, he's a lot different. Like, he's
0: apparently some kind of, like, spiritual reincarnation of something in that
1: in the comics oh jeez well because
0: there always has to be a rat king and the pantheon told Splinter that they would offer him the chance to be the new rat king once when he right the moment before he died they would come back and make him that
1: offer and if he took it he would be the new rat king and live forever wow well I mean it makes sense I mean splinter rat King I mean it just works yeah, yeah. It, it does it <laughs> writes itself yeah <laughs> Oh, yes. You may have won the battle, but you have not won the war. Yet. Yet. Yes. Okay, now is the time that I'm really, really nervous about because I haven't had anchovies in probably five years. (laughs) And and at that time, I'd I'd never had had them before. Um, And I remember them being so salty and nasty I was like oh I, I, I got through one slice I was like okay I, got, I, I can't do this anymore but anyways I asked the Facebook page uh, or my, our fans on the Facebook page uh, based on all the turtle, Ninja Turtle combinations for in their preferences for pizzas uh, which one should I try at least on, on the recording of the podcast and the one I found most common there were actually three different toppings that were the most common there were uh, anchovies believe it or not anchovies there were marshmallows and grape jelly. Ooh. Like an idiot. <laughs> uh, I bought, uh, I got one of those Tostino pizzas. Uh, I've got a little bit of grape jelly on there. I've got some half-melted marshmallows on there. And, and, and the pizza's kind of cold now. So, <laughs> And I've got about 20 anchovies on this thing. So I'm going to go ahead and try to eat this thing. And Scout's honor, as a matter of fact, I've got a camera here... Um, I'm actually gonna film this uh, while I'm recording this thing. I'm gonna cut it on right now. You crazy man? You're yeah. crazy. <laughs> just so that, just so the listeners know, I'm not lying. Um, and of course, you know they wouldn't think that anyway, right? No, no, you no, you lie. That that's <laughs> that's absurd. Yeah. All right, so let me go get the pizza. I'll be right back, my friend. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, Lenny, you still there, man? I'm there. Okay. <laughs> uh, Okay, uh, this is on video, here, and we are in the recording of our podcast, and I'm currently talking to Landon right now, this is in the middle of episode 7, and there are land Landon I put way too many anchovies on this thing, <laughs> eat it, eat it, eat <laughs> it, oh Landon's taunting me on, I better do it, okay, alright, so for the camera, for the people listening to this podcast, I guess you already know that I'm an idiot, but just for you guys, just to make you happy... I'm going to listen to your votes, and I'm at least going to try to finish one slice, but this thing looks so nasty. There's globs of uh, jelly all around, scattered. Uh, it looks like I see little bones in these uh, anchovies, or I, heck, I don't know what they are. All right, all right, enough talk. Have at you. All right, here we go. Here we go, Dracula. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm nervous.
0: <laughs> do it, do it. All right,
1: Landon, here we go, buddy. <sighs> Oh my! This tastes absolutely horrible. Landon. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. Actually, you know what? It kind of, it's nice. Oh my cat just jumped up here. You know what's kind of nice about this pizza is the anchovies are so bad. But I made sure that I took a bite of the marshmallows to kind of balance out the bad taste of the anchovies, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it actually worked. Okay, I've taken one bite. All right, man. I need your I need your motivation. Come on, pet me up here. All right, you're you're like my Mick, okay?
0: Come on, you bum. Don't be a bum.
1: <laughs> hey uh, Mick. All right. Here we go.
0: Eat it. Eat it. Eat. I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> Don't, throw up. Don't, <laughs> Don't throw, up. throw up. Don't throw up. Don't throw up.
1: Alright, I got a big, big chunk of anchovy right here. Oh, it's so salty. Okay, here we go, man. Mmm. Alright. No. <laughs> okay, here we go. Bite number two. Mmm.
0: Delicious. Mmm.
1: <laughs> oh.
0: It tastes like how a gym sock smells.
1: Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> You should do like Java on just oh <laughs> Java the Hutt choking. <laughs> 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 All right, fans, this is for you guys. All right, here we go.
0: I love the the sound effect.
1: <laughs> jelly stuck in my hand. Eat Man, it!
0: Kobe. Eat it! Eat it! Eat it! Come on, Raw! Eat it!
1: Oh. Alright, that's it. I gotta stop. If I have another bite, I think I will throw up. I'm a wuss. I'm sorry. Should I finish the slice? How much more you got? I think I might have half an anchovy, a little bit of grape left, and mainly crust. I think I can do this.
0: I'm afraid not. (laughs) Don't do it. You're making me sick just thinking about it. Alright, man. I'm gonna do it, man. I'm gonna do it.
1: This is the final slice or the final piece I'm gonna eat today. <sighs> alright. Should I bend it in there like in all in one shot? No, I better not do that. Okay. It's
0: cookie monster just oh,
1: <laughs> Okay.
0: Get it over with.
1: Mm. Can I get a countdown? Yeah. Alright, alright, from five. Five. <clears throat> four. Three.
0: Two. One. Half. Zero. <laughs> go. <laughs>
1: No, oh. oh, the anchovy fell off, and I was like, "Suck my tongue mm. <laughs> no, not at all oh mmm. I wouldn't do that to the cats. No, <laughs> right, man, I did. There is proof. I did eat one slice, but no more, man. I can't do any more. I'm sorry. It's okay. I don't think any less of you. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Will you please throw that away? <laughs> thank you. <man. laughs> Bunga dudes. <laughs> My wife's like, "Wow, they keep letting like married this guy." <laughs> really. Oh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna show that to the public. That's that's too embarrassing. Oh, uh, you do it! I, I really wussed out, man. I thought I thought I would have been stronger with that. I thought I could have eaten the whole thing, but no. I hate anchovies so bad. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I guess that takes us into the teenage mutant Turtle segment. Well, my friend, uh, before we get started with the comic books, or before we get started talking about our favorite comic books, I'll give you a real... I'll try to, as quickly as I can, get over the the overview of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics and, and you know, where they came from, kind of the progression they had taken. It was a big journey between the mid-80s all the way to where they are now. Okay, so... The concept originated from the, the comical drawing sketched out by Kevin Eastman. Basically, this is what it said online. They had like a casual evening uh, brainstorming, uh, Kevin did, with his friend Peter Laird. The drawing of a short, s- squat turtle wearing a mask with nunchucks strapped to his arms was incredibly funny to the young artist, as it played upon their inherent contradiction of a slow, cold-blooded reptile with speed and agility of the Japanese martial arts. At Laird's suggestion, they created a team of four such turtles, each specializing in different weapons. Eastman and Laird often cite the work of Frank Miller and Jack Kirby as major artistic influences. So that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you notice, like, the first couple of issues, actually, most of the first volume is black and white. A lot like the Frank Miller comic books and everything. So uh, I thought that was pretty neat. And Eastman and Laird, they decided to use their tax refund, and I think they had gotten a loan from their uncle to form Mirage Studios in the first place back in 1984 so they could release, release the first issue of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And actually, there were four main volumes of the main Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. The first dozen were written by Eastman and Laird themselves, but as the series grew more popular and, and, and more demanding, other writers and, and uh, had a to take the reins of the comics, there was also a bi-monthly comic book called *Tales of the Teenage Ninja Turtles* that it, that started in 1987, which is where Jim Lawson, one of my favorite Ninja Turtle comic artists, had come along, uh, and it had drawn a lot of uh, the comics from that series, the the kind of the side series. The Archie Teenage Ninja Turtles series also came out in uh, 1988 and spanned 70, 72 issues up to 1995. And the first issues were just adaptations of the Turtle comic, or I'm sorry, the Turtle cartoon. But later on, you know, after Eastman and Laird had left that kind of side project, the other writers immediately decided to take the the adventures into their own written stories. They weren't direct copies of the cartoons. Alright, so uh, back to the first volume. Issue 45 kicked off a huge turning point. Uh, As Mirage made a a concentrated effort to return the series to continuity, uh, there was a third 13-part story arc entitled City at War, which began at Issue 50, and this is, uh, I'm not sure, I think that was written by Eastman and Laird, and that was the first series of comic books, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books, that they had written since Issue 11 together. Uh, so that kind of brought a little bit of continuity back to the series for that first volume, and it concluded with the 62nd issue in August of 1993. Uh, after that, and this is the, the Turtles I don't know about, but apparently there's a whole other side to the Ninja Turtles that nowadays isn't even considered to be in the Ninja Turtle canon. But did you know that the Image Comics actually bought the rights to the Ninja Turtles, I think in 90... Let me check, I took notes on this. I think in late 1993, apparently Image did some crazy things with the Turtles. After Eastman and Laird and Mirage let Image Comics print their own comics, known and this is considered like the volume two of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it was headed by artist and writer Jim Lawson. Um, the Image series only spanned for about 13 episodes uh, before kind of the decline of the interest in the Ninja Turtles. Because let's face it, by 1993, 1994, a lot of people were tired of the Turtles, and that's a sh- that's a shame, man. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I know, I know. And it's like I I saw it happening right before my eyes. And even as a kid, I knew it was happening. I was like, what's happening to the Turtles? No one's really talking about it anymore. And there was even a brief amount of time where if you said you were a Turtles fan in in, in the, I'd say, 1994 or so, people kind of laugh at you. I'd
0: punch them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, Take them out. Oh, gosh, I got a piece of anchovy stuck in my upper lip. So, Volume 3 began in 1996 and lasted until 1999. Again, this is still Image publishing these Turtle comics. I really don't know anything about the series, but apparently, Image tried to make the series work. It took on a very violent approach, which sounds kind of neat. Like, it actually sounds pretty interesting. Here's Here's what the website said, like, kind of summarizing what Image did to the Ninja Turtles. It says, In June 1996, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 3 was published under Image Comics' label, thanks to Eric Larson. A total of 23 monthly issues were written by Gary Carlson and illustrated by Frank Fosco. The comments returned to, the, to their black and white format, albeit without toning, but had a faster pace, more intense action, and surprising plot twists. Many of the Turtles were injured and or mutilated. This caused Donatello to become a cyborg, Raphael to wear an eye patch due to a loss of his left eye, Leonardo to pl- place his katana, in place of his sever- severed hand. Wow, I didn't know that. Cool.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: And you know, instead of a hook, he had his katana there. And Splinter becoming a bat! <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. Um, Vampire rat bat. I like it. In a, in a startling plot twist, Raphael even took on the identity of the Shredder and assumed leadership of the Foot. So, wow. Raf goes bad. That sounds so awesome. I like it. Yeah, me too. I want to read these, and, and they're actually... I actually looked it up. On MyComicShop.com, they're hard to find, you know, the whole series. And the ones you do find are pretty expensive. You know, you expect to pay about 10 bucks per issue. But with Volume 3, the Turtles were incorporated into the Image Universe, which provided opportunities for a few crossovers and guest appearances by characters from the Savage Dragon series. The series ceased production in 1999 and, believe it or not, is no longer officially considered Ninja Turtle canon Do in part of the lack of desire by co-creator Peter Laird to, f- to follow up material with which he was not directly involved in, nor fully approved. Raphael's description as a shredder, however, is referenced in an episode of the third season of the 2003 animated series. Uh, so that's really neat. That's cool. Yeah, I love the idea of him kind of giving in to the dark side, you know. <laughs> the, the series that I know really, really well, the one that kind of got me... Okay, I don't know if this happened with you, Landon, but this happened to me. I always loved the Turtles. As a kid, I always did. Even in the the early to mid-90s, huge Turtle fan. But there were probably about two or three years in late 90s, or or maybe early 2000, that it's not that I didn't love them anymore, I just hadn't been around the comics. And obviously the show, the the 2003 show hadn't come out yet. So let me ask you this. Was there a time, you know, that you just kind of got out of Turtles? I didn't really get out. It's kind of I'm, I'm kind of like you. I kind of quit following them. Yeah, but it's like my love for them was still there, but yeah. it's just like I kind of forgotten how awesome they were. The Ninja Turtles for me, personally, I think the comics got better as time went on. And the, the fourth volume, which came out I think in 2001, the fourth volume is my favorite. But let me, let me give you kind of a quick background on it. It says, Peter Laird and Jim Lawson brought the Turtles back to their roots with Volume 4. First published in December 2001, this series is published bi-monthly and contained carefully woven story threads as well as social commentary. The authors took this opportunity to correct the spelling of Michelangelo's name. It has sometimes been misspelled. The plot centered around the Utrams, amongst other alien species, who had landed on Earth and were living out a one-year probation period in which, in the end, they were asked to leave. Uh, and they claimed that they would leave peacefully. This leaves the teenage mutant turtles to be able to live normal lives for the first time under the disguise of aliens, so they can actually be out in the open, and everyone, you know, they wouldn't think that they're mutated turtles; they would just think they were aliens. I like that. Yeah, kind of... it was a really, really neat premise. Um, the fourth volume ended, unfortunately, and this was my favorite volume. The fourth volume ended with when Peter Laird sold Mirage Studios to IDW Comics in 2009, and IDW kind of went back again to the roots uh, and mimicked a lot of the early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics from the 80s and it looks very promising I haven't actually read any of the new ones I've just kind of skimmed through a couple that I was was able to download and preview Uh, the IDW series it began in August of 2011 there are a few side stories that might be a little bit different or might step out of the canon of what we're used to but overall it's pretty consistent with the old stuff and it looks really good. It looks really dark, too. Mm-hmm. And, as, and as a matter of fact, the one I did read, I don't remember what issue it was, but basically, Raph has left his brothers. And, he, and apparently, the, way, the context in which the comic was written sounds like he's been away from them for a really, really long time. So... I like that. I like the fact that some of the Turtles have split off and kind of done their own things. And, you know, you always think in the back of your mind, well, they're all going to get back together. They're brothers. But, maybe not. I'd love to see where this comic book series goes. So, it looks really, really good. So, I guess that's five volumes if you count the IDW series. So, so be sure to check that out. You can check out their new issues at MyComicShop.com for that. But, yeah, there are five main volumes of the Teenage Mutant Turtles. There were a lot of side volumes, like The Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There were two volumes of that. There was the one in the 80s, and I think it was from the late 80s to maybe 90. And then there was the second volume, which... I don't know when the second volume started, but it pretty much ended when the fourth volume of the main series ended in 2009. And I loved, I loved The Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They are my favorite. Actually, out of all of them... I picked the second volume of the Tales of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to be my all-time favorite volume of turtle comics, but uh, but anyways, I know that was a long-winded background on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. But Landon, if you had to pick one, what is your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle comic? I still like the first
0: one, oh. the or the origin story and the and the battle with Shredder.
1: Oh, awesome!
0: And how you know I grew up watching the cartoon first and you know several years, that's probably 19 or 20, I saw a copy of the the first one, the Eastman and Layards, Turtles. Mm -hmm. And you know, it it ends with Leo like decapitating Shredder. (laughs) Yeah, And like, they bring him back somehow and like Donatello, they're having a battle and Shredder throws a grenade at him and he bats it back at him and blows him up. Wow. You know, that to me, that was kind of a shock because it was more realistic. Yeah. Like, you know, they weren't just trying to stop his plot. You know, stop him and Crane from getting the Technodrome from Dimension X. No, they literally killed the man. Yeah. Twice. (laughs) And I guess I like the first one, too, because a lot of the Ninja Turtle movie is based off of that first series of comic books. Like... Raph getting his, you know, tail kicked and getting knocked into a coma and running off to the farmhouse to recover
1: and all that. You know, that's that's in those first comic books. That's true, yeah. And the first one is so dark for, for that reason. And I think that's why it pleased so many fans, because it was like the perfect blend of the comics and the cartoon. Yeah, you had the, the cutesy,
0: you know, nobody really gets hurt or dies from the Turtles fighting yeah. but at the same time you have Raph who gets nearly killed uh-huh. and you know like we talked about on the last podcast you know the scene where they all kind of try to find a way to deal with that and still to this day Michelangelo just in there going to town on that punching bag is like one of the best scenes of that movie
1: oh definitely definitely. just because
0: you know you think of him as oh yeah he's the lot-hearted one he's the carefree one and, you know, he, he's all the time giving Raph a very hard time, you know, just playing with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he sees Raph get the snot beat out of him, and it makes him mad because, you know, he usually went to Raph to talk, talk things out, to, you know, kind of joke around with him about things, and he didn't have that. And he just goes absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of in the comic, too. He kind of, you know, he kind of gets off by himself and gets really angry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, apparently, like, later on, I was doing some research on the comics, like, Michelangelo becomes, like, some kind of, like, intergalactic, like, alien fighting ring champion because, like, somehow, it's not specifically said, but he thinks of his brothers getting hurt or something, I think I read somewhere, and when he does, like, he has enough rage to... You know pretty much be on par with Raphael, but he's fighting aliens in this big tournament and he just beats all of them i don't know if that's in the first volume it's kind of like in the ones where they introduced the aliens i think the like the mid-90s comics oh cool but yeah he like wins this battle arena and is like considered the strongest fighter in the universe
1: that's awesome
0: you know he's kind of like well if you think i'm the strongest you need to see my brothers and You know, I'm the weakling of all them, and it just kind of, like, blows
1: all the other races' minds. Oh, you know what? Actually, that might be the fourth volume. Is Yeah, because I I think I remember him being actually one of the the focal points of the comics. Like, I I remember the fourth volume really concentrated on Michelangelo's character. Uh, You know, the main series. And I do remember him being off by himself, and I remember a lot of people almost thinking, "Wow, where did you get your skills from?" And I remember him saying something like, "Oh, you think I'm good? You ought to see my brothers." Yeah. So, so I bet you that's the fourth volume you're talking about. Yeah. That
0: I thought that was I thought that was cool in the comics too. That he kind of kind of got his own little time to be in the spotlight, and everybody thought he was just awesome. And he's like, "No, I'm I'm really not." Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, dude, you picked an excellent issue, man. I mean, it's hard to beat the first one. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: you can't beat the first one. (laughs) No,
1: no. Well, for me, I picked an issue that is kind of very, very different. It's My favorite Ninja Turtle comic by far is actually from the second volume of the Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Uh, And it was published in the March of 2005, and it was written and drawn by, again, my favorite artist and Probably comic book writer Jim Lawson, and it's called *The Path*. And this is just—it's a touching comic. And while I love, believe me, while I love the action side of the Ninja Turtles and how the fast pace, uh, and I love the, and I love how violent they could be at times. This issue is really none of that. This particular comic really moved me in such a way. I don't know the, the script, the way it was drawn. Uh, uh, this particular issue, as weird as it's, it may sound. It stuck with me for years. Uh, I remember buying it at a rundown comic book store in Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, well, it wasn't run-down, but, you know, it was was an older comic book store. As a matter of fact, it's the same comic book store. Did you ever watch Unbreakable? I think I did a long
0: time ago. Yeah, it
1: had uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a scene where Samuel L. Jackson's in in a comic book store and stuff, and he's looking at all these villains through uh, one of the comic books. It was in that store in Philadelphia. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, but then finally I saw a picture on the wall, and it, it had a, it had that it had Samuel L. Jackson signed. He had signed it. I said, "Hey, well, you know, is, is that here?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, yeah." Because I, I always loved the movie. Uh, but anyways, I bought it at that store probably about six or seven years ago, and I must have read this issue at least a dozen times since then. Okay, before the story even begins, Splinter kind of has it, it's it's kind of neat the way it sets up because Splinter has a conversation. With us, the readers, and it's it's a conversation that is actually very very key to the plot of the story, or maybe to the theme of the story. And he's he's sitting in his study, and he states, "Lonely warrior, your path is difficult. Shall we strive to be as cold-hearted as our worst enemy? Like your mighty brothers, you are a warrior, born and trained. You, though, are not as steely-edged as may be required. You follow your heart on a broken, curving road to uncertain destinations." even so there may still be a balance for you will you choose wisely with compassion or will you think only of yourself we shall see let me tell you a story okay and at first I thought he was talking to Michelangelo but especially towards the end I think he's just talking to the reader in general so here's the actual story Ex- essentially the, the recurring theme is that one day if we haven't already we're gonna be confronted with an extremely tough choice and, and the choice, or, or the path, I guess that's probably the better way to put it, since that's what it's called. The path we take will determine who we are and what we stand for. And in this particular issue, Splinter begins with a premonition that one day, uh, he's meditating, and, he's, and he has a premonition about Michelangelo. And although his premonition is too hard to decipher, you know, it's kind of a ha- hazy meditation or a premonition, he knows that Michelangelo will be confronted with death in some way. So anyways, the next day, Mikey's hanging out uh, with the other turtles in what looks like, I guess it's April's apartment. And Mikey's complaining that he hasn't had a whole bunch of sleep because there's been this alley cat uh, that's been fighting with his cat. Mikey had a cat named Clunk. I guess they were were really, really close and stuff. And Mikey was complaining how he never gets any sleep because Clunk and this stray cat are always fighting and stuff. Mikey's kind of playing with Clunk and stuff in the apartment. And then Clunk decides to wander on the windowsill and uh, sneaks out there's like a little hole in the I guess the steel wiring of the screen uh, and he gets out of there he jumps out and he goes on a fire escape and Clunk falls down or he doesn't fall but he he crawls down onto the the alleyway and he sees this like I guess she's she's a homeless woman and she's got a cart full of cats and stuff she's really really creepy looking and, and stuff and it's it startles Clunk so Clunk runs away from her, and as he does, he runs into the street. Uh, and Clunk, there's a car coming, and the car tries to swerve out of the way, and 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 Clunk tries to sidestep the car, but still gets hit, and is is still thrown uh, about, you know, I guess ten, twenty feet. Mikey up in the apartment. He hears a tire squealing, and he immediately knows something's wrong. So he he busts through the window, climbs down the uh, the fire escape, and he takes Clunk in his hands, and he's he, and and Clunk's bleeding really badly, but he's still alive. And Mikey panics. You know, he starts crying and stuff, and he says, uh, and he talks to the lady that had scared Clunk originally. I said, "Can you help me?" I said, "Is there anything you can do?" And the woman, she's like, "I can take you to someone who can help him." So, Mikey takes Clunk, who's dying in his arms, takes him to this, like, town in the middle of New York, or, or, and, and this, this man comes out of one of, like, the little shacks and says, the only way I can help Clunk is if I have a comparable life, a life for a life. So Mikey thinks, oh, hey, that stray cat. He's like, hang on one sec, I'll be right back. So he runs all the way back to the alley, picks up that stray cat that's been, you know, fighting with Clunk all this time, and he goes, here, take this one. Take this one. No one loves this cat. The guy takes the cat. Takes the knife out, and then the and the guy looks back at Michelangelo and says, "Are you sure about this?" And mikey just hey, he has this really, really lo- reluctant, uh, uncertain expression on his face. And then the guy's about to raise his knife and and kill the the stray cat. A- and Mikey goes, "No, no, I I can't do it. I can't do it." So. Mikey decides, you know, to to not kill the uh, not have the guy kill the stray cat. And, and Mikey just kind of holds Clunk in his arms as Clunk dies. And he's crying and everything. So Mikey walks back home and the stray cat follows him. Uh, well, anyways, the next day, Mikey's kind of just sitting depressed in in his room and stuff. And Leonardo comes in and he goes, Hey, Mikey! Mikey, check this out, man! Uh, and they walk out to the alley. And apparently that stray cat had kittens. And and apparently they were they were Clunk's kittens. I guess the whole moral of the story was, although it was... A hard decision that Mikey had to make. It was the right decision, and and because it was the right decision, there was a lot of good things that came from that decision. And mm-hmm. It's just I don't know. It, it had nothing to do with Utrams, It had nothing to do with Shredder or anything like that. But it was a, such a good moral story. But I don't know. I just that one always got to me, and I've read that three or four times. I, you know, as a matter of fact, I have it in my hands right now. I'm looking through the artwork. It is so good, so good. And that scene where he's holding clunk in his hands after he realizes he he can't do anything for him, that's hard. And to see Michelangelo cry, that's very rare in comics, you know? But man, just a good good story. So that's, again, that's issue 9 of Tales of the TMNT. That's volume 2. This came out in the March of 2005, and it's just an awesome Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic. Ooh. Did I depress you? A little bit. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so here are some of the, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of responses based on the fans' favorite Teenage Ninja, Ninja Turtle comics, but we did get a few, we did get a few, so uh, I'll read the first one from our buddy J. Murph Murphy, and this is what he says. I really enjoyed the original series, but I am also I also really enjoyed this new series. The comics, of course, and I guess he's talking about Volume Volume 5, the IDW comics that were released in 2011. I'm still trying to hunt down TMNT 2 and 3 for the NES. I keep getting snaked on eBay, though. Well, good luck, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those are some some tough ones to find.
1: Yeah, yeah, good games, though.
0: Let's see. Jake Pope said, Mirage over Archie. Or greater than Archie, I should say. Not over, but you you get it.
1: Yeah, you know what you mean. (laughs) Oh, good one. And Joe uh, Gibkin says... Is it blasphemous of me to say that as a reader of the 1984 Mirage comics and of the new comic series by IDW written by Kevin Eastman, that I consider it to be an atrocity to make any Ninja Turtle other than Michelangelo a wacky and lighthearted character, and that the series should be serious and or dark most of the time if it's not a Mikey-oriented story? I don't know. What do you think about that question, man?
0: I kind of agree with it. I like the more serious... (laughs) You know, Dark Turtles, if I want the light-hearted turtles, you know, you can turn on the cartoon and watch it. Even the, I think the new, like, CGI cartoon, you can turn that on and watch it. It's, it's fairly light-hearted for the most part.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Like, the, the comics, that's kind of always how I've seen it, is the shows are light-hearted for everybody. The comics
1: are kind of more on the serious, hardcore fan side. right. Right. Uh, and Joe continues to to write about this and says because as someone who reads the old Mirage comics I kind of hate what the Fred Wolf films did to the series in fact even though the IDW series uses a lot of concepts from the 1987 cartoon it it has them reimagined in a more serious and or dark uh, way uh, and as a whole Mirage like manner so just the way Joe describes it that makes me want to read the IDW comics so bad (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> it, it's it seems like it's a it's a mix between the cartoon and the original comics, which to me that's like the perfect blend, you know. Mm-hmm. So so anyways, so that's what the that's what Joe said, and I guess that's it for the fan responses. Didn't get a whole lot on that, but that's okay because the next little survey or whatever, uh, besides the toys segment, uh, has quite a few responses. So, Ooh, yeah. all right, uh, Landon, I'll, I'll give a real quick overview of the toys real quick. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys, and this one's a lot quicker than the comic one, so I promise, it says, uh, <laughs> from 1988 to 1997, Playmates produced about 400 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures, as well as dozens of vehicles and playsets. Uh, for the first time in four years of Turtle Mania, about, or, Yeah, I'm sorry. For the first four years of Turtle Mania, about $1.1 billion worth of toys were sold, making the Turtles the number three top-selling toy figures ever at the time, behind only G.I. Joe and Star Wars. So Playmates has made nearly all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures uh, that were ever produced, ones for the current Nickelodeon series. So, oh, by the way, the new ones, they look awesome. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. I've seen a few of them. Yeah, yeah. I've been collecting them. I got the I got the first four turtles. I've got April and I think Splinter. Uh, but the next two I want to get is Fish Face and uh, Dog Pound. <laughs> so Landon, what was your favorite Ninja Turtle toy, my friend, growing
0: up? I had two of them actually, and they were from the the original release of the turtles. Like it was the four turtles, Splinter and April as the good guys, and then Krang, Foot Soldier, Bebop, Rocksteady, and Shredder were your bad guys, and I guess my favorite two out of all those were Donatello, because he was the first turtle I ever had. Awesome. And, and Leonardo from the first series, because he was the hardest one to find.
1: Oh, you got the Leonardo like, the, from the original toy line? Yeah. Oh, lucky dog! Yeah, like, I remember I was probably about four or five. Well,
0: I was. it was before I went to kindergarten, so I had to have been four. Hmm. I mean, we looked everywhere for a Leonardo and finally found one in this little dollar store that had just got turtle toys in. Huh. And he was all that I needed to complete the the good guys at that time. And then they released series two, which had like Ace Duck and <laughs> Metalhead and yeah, all those guys. But yeah, the the Leonardo and the Donatello were my two favorites, and I always and I liked how. They were different shades of green, the turtles. Like, Donatello was more of a brown, yeah. brownish green. Leonardo was, was just like a, not really a dark green, but not, mm. you know, uh, kind of a medium green. Michelangelo was always kind of a bluish green, and Raphael was just like lime green colored. Yeah. And they, and you know, they had their black shells, but yeah, the, the
1: Donatello one was my favorite one. awesome. Awesome.
0: Loved yeah. it, in the Leonardo, just because Leonardo was so hard to find.
1: Yeah. You know what? Uh, I don't think I've ever actually seen a, an original Leonardo toy line turtle yet. I've seen a lot of the Donatells. I've seen a lot of the Rafts. A few of the Mikeys, but I have not seen one Leo yet. I don't, I never had the original Leo. So I'm, I'm very envious, man.
0: I had the original first series when I was younger. I had all of them. I yeah, had,
1: that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, golly.
0: I had April, two Splinters, two Raphaels, a Michelangelo, a Donatello, the Leonardo, Bebop Rocksteady, Krang with the little walker body, and Shredder. <laughs> man, you
1: stocked up. Very good. That that was like all I bought when I was a kid. I love those boys. <laughs> I still do, man. I was actually telling my wife the other day, I said, I said, you know, finally when we get all our bills paid, our student loads are paid off and everything, I said, uh, how do you feel about me possibly collecting some turtles? She's like, well, like, ah, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> So uh, that's you code know. work. Oh, if you didn't yeah. Know. My <laughs> now, wife
0: says that to me all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, you know, this might be years and years down the road, but I would love to collect them again. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of the loose toys and everything, but I don't have hardly anything in the box besides one April O'Neil that I got with like a bundle on eBay. Gosh, probably ten years ago.
0: But I've got the reissues of the first series in the box still. Yeah, like the reissue of Leonardo. Like I've got all four of the turtles, the reissues back in like 2000. Oh,
1: nice, nice. I've never even seen those. Is the box art different? It is. It's kind of like the the New Ninja Turtles
0: cartoon, uh-huh. like, where they were... I'm trying to think what they called that. It was the one that came on Fox all the time.
1: Oh, uh, the 2003 one.
0: Yeah, they've got that box art, but the figures are like reprints kind of of the first series.
1: Oh, awesome. Well, for me, you know, you mentioned the Donatello toy. For me, I can relate. Uh for sure. Uh, it all started with me, I'll never forget my sister's third birthday. Uh, we had like a little house party for her before we all went to the skating rink in Gloucester City that night. And I remember, <laughs> I remember when we went to the skating rink, it was it was Barney themed, and you know, my mom had all these Barney plates and everything. I remember Barney was like huge back then for my sister. And... You loved him. <laughs> I, no, take off, I didn't watch. Oh wait, you, you were a Barney fan. <laughs> no way, no. Oh yeah, well you were a Teletubby fan. Maybe. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. <laughs> that was that was, was low, man. That was low. <laughs> well, anyway, so I remember it was, it was Barney-themed, and we had dozens of family members there. A lot of my sister's friends were there. Uh, well, after my sister, her name's Roseanne, uh, after she opened up a lot of her gifts, my grandmother comes over to me, uh, and she gives me a gift that's wrapped. And I was completely taken back. I was completely surprised, and I didn't expect anything. And this would this would kind of become a a, tra- a birthday tradition with my grandmother. She'd always be sure to get us both a gift on our birthdays. You know that way none of us ever felt left out. Uh, and uh, you know she, she passed away back in two thousand one. But up until then, she she always did that. She was, she was a great person. She was somebody I really 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 respected and loved. But anyways, so she hands me that present and she says to me, "I hope you like it." And I was completely shocked. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I, I go to open it, and it's Detective Donatello. Do you remember that one? I remember that one. He had, like, a little face that you could take on and off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was that one, and I remember when I first opened it, and I, I, I opened the first part of the draft paper, and I, it was, I saw it. I didn't even have it completely unwrapped yet, and I freaked out because as I always wanted Ninja Turtles toy, um, but that was like the first one that was mine. You know, it's like I'd always play with my friend's toys and stuff, but that was the one that was mine. And that was so special. And as a matter of fact, as I'm talking right now, I'm holding the uh, Donatello Ninja Turtle figure right now. It's collected quite some dust. And I noticed there's a, a year on the back here. It says 1990 Mirage Studios Playmates toys. So this would have been 1990, I'd say, when, this ki- when I got this. So... That-
0: that sounds about right. I got him for my uh, birthday when I was in kindergarten, and I started in kindergarten in '90. So nice,
1: nice. Uh, so awesome, awesome day, and uh, I gotta go. Uh, of course, it's sentimental to me, so I gotta go with Detective Donnie. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and that toy I've kept that with me. We've we've moved probably close to you know six, seven times since then. I've always made sure uh, I've kept them with me, and maybe I'll take a, a picture of them and put them on our Facebook page one day.
0: <laughs> you should. Yeah, I like I like Detective Donnie. That was a cool one.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. Definitely was. So here are our fan responses to their their favorite Ninja Turtle toys, and Nick DeMarco says. My parents could never afford the really good toys, aside from the action figures. For me, the most memorable one was, or the most memorable was at my ninth birthday. Four of my friends each bought me one turtle uh, from the Undercover series. Hey, there we go. There you where, go. Yeah, where Leo was a samurai, Donatello was a detective. There he is. Yeah. Raphael was an astronaut, and Mikey was a surfer. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. I had that set. Me too. Oh, I had uh, Raph, and I had the Mikey surfer. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, and he says... I still have them, very cool, and always wanted the party wagon. I never had that either, buddy.
0: I got the party wagon at a thrift store.
1: Oh, you lucky dog! And it was like still in the box. Apparently, a kid had got
0: it for his birthday and already had one, and he just took it to the thrift store. And I'm like, uh,
1: I'll take it. <laughs> That's awesome! What a find, man.
0: Uh, Michael Stockman says the sewer playset, bar none. I had that. I got that from Santa Claus one year. Oh, you had the play set, the sewer playset. That was my Christmas present that year from Santa. Was the sewer playset. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Santa. <laughs>
0: and like beside the the, the sewer playset was the Ghostbuster uh, firehouse.
1: Oh, I had that. I definitely had that.
0: And like sometimes the Ghostbusters would help the Ninja Turtles, and sometimes the Ninja Turtles would help the Ghostbusters when uh, I would play.
1: Crossover. <laughs> I know it was like the greatest crossover ever. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, Jonathan David Turner says, I used to dream about the Technodrome. So I, I'm assuming he never had one. And you and I have something in common there, buddy. I dreamed about it all the time. I never had one either. Oh, I always wanted one. I want
0: oh, my- one. Oh, I'll beg my mom for one, and I could never
1: <laughs> get one. Well, yeah, that, that'd be the. You know what? If, if I was smart as a kid, I would have said, hey, mom, I, I could put all my toys in here, close the Technodrome up. It's no mess for you. <laughs> Dude, that would have been ball. Yeah, she'd been like, okay, Rob, here's forty dollars. <laughs> yeah. Go buy the Technodrome. <laughs> yeah, if only I knew then what I know now. <laughs> we
0: were smart. Nick Stevens says, I had the van. Need I say more? Yeah, the van was pretty cool.
1: I I don't think I had the van. I didn't have a lot of lot of the actual like bigger toys. I just had most of the single f- figures. I did have the I did have the pizza shooter though. By the way. The pizza shooter was cool. That thing hurt though. Yeah. I am
0: not joking. I shot myself. Like I got, I think I got one of my cousins. I was like, okay, push the button and hit me. And like, I held up my hand to try to block it. And dude, it like left a red mark on my hand.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! I don't remember mine shooting that hard. But then again, I, I never shot myself. I, I put fresh batteries in it, Slaw. So I- <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Christopher Calhoun says. Although my cousin had the Technodrome and the Driller things, my favorite toy was the Super Shredder. He was a bit bigger, and his purple spandex parts had had black swirling lines in his design, since he was super. And the spikes were exaggerated. Uh, other than that, the Turtle Van I really liked, and the Samurai Turtles, uh, the ones that you could open the, their shells. Oh, I forgot about those, yeah. Oh, I did too. Those were pretty cool. Nice. Oh, he also had, he says, also had the Turtle Blimp, but it was hit and miss with my friends. Oh, man. I tur- Boy, he had some good ones.
0: Yeah, those were pretty sweet. I liked a lot of those. Yeah, absolutely. Our uh, good buddy, uh, Brian Rapallo, over at uh, Retro Gaming Times, says, mm. did anyone have the turtles that you would run a strip of plastic to their shell and they would say what was embedded on the strip? I think there were bumps or grooves on the strip that would tell them what to say. Yes, Brian, I did. I had Michelangelo. You? I would never even seen those. Like... You had, like, three or four little strips that came with the turtle. Uh-huh. They were little plastic, like, flimsy strips. And you would put one end, like, or you would feed it through mm-hmm. the turtle shell. And there would be a little, like, thing for you to pinch. And once the little pincher thing got to the, uh, the shell, you would pull it, you know, not real fast, not real slow, but you would just pull it. And he would, and the turtle would say something, and it was the voice actor from, like, the cartoon
1: doing the voice. I gotta get one of those. It was—it was pretty sweet, dude. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you. I think I've seen toys similar to that, but I don't think I've ever actually seen a turtles one of that. That's really neat. Uh, well, Adventures in Portes, our buddies over there, uh, check out their awesome stuff. We mentioned them earlier in the in the show. Russ uh, is is his name who who wrote this. It says, "If only we could have had the Technodrome and the T-Rex Dino Riders toy." <laughs> Oh, I remember that. Yeah. He says, our lives would have been complete and we would have made all the other kids in second grade kiss our kangaroo Velcros.
0: That's right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, good point, man. Good point. Well, all right. That brings us to our final segment. Well, sort of, I guess is our final segment. Our video game reviews. So we've got two more we wanted to review today. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the Manhattan Project for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And Landon, you're going to be reviewing Tournament Fighters, uh, the NES version, which is one I've always wanted. So uh, I'm really excited to hear that one, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, about the Manhattan Project, uh, this story, or I'm sorry, this game is very sentimental to me. This is, uh, uh, this game represented a very, very cool time uh, when when I was a kid. My first encounter with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, um was at a friend's birthday party his name was Eddie and this was back in Gloucester City and he had a pool party it was in July and you know we were out there we were, we were kidding around in the pool and stuff and it was me and a couple of other friends uh, and then Eddie's mom calls Eddie out of the pool and stuff so we all get out we had our super soakers and everything it was so fun which kind of defeats the purpose when you're in a pool but oh well um, hey. So we get out and stuff, and Eddie's opening all the presents. and I got him, I think I got him American Gladiators toy or, or something like that. I don't know. So I was really excited for him to open that. Did you get uh, him Nitro? <laughs> I don't remember. Turbo, Laser? <laughs> laser, Laser, and Taser, and Blazer. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Um, I really don't remember which one I got him. But, you know, he keeps opening all this stuff, and, and uh, it gets toward the end. Oh, and he opened a, I remember seeing, like, a Hungry Hungry Hippos toy it opened and everything. So, finally, he he gets to his last present, and it's one, I guess, that must have been a big deal, because his, his mom deliberately waited to the end to give him this one. And he opens it up, and I'm looking, and I'm shocked, like, I didn't even know they made a new Turtles game yet. (laughs) And it was, yeah, and the box art on it is awesome, by the way. Uh, It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the Manhattan Project, and I think this would have been around 1992. So we go upstairs to play it, and I had never been in Eddie's room before. And he lived up in the attic, and he had the coolest room you'd ever seen, man. It was like a Ninja Turtle haven, man. It was like, it was like the sewers in the attic. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I'm going around, and I'm just like in awe of everything that he's got. He's got turtle posters, he's got turtle toys stacked on his bookshelves, he's got all this stuff, and he's so excited. So he pops it in there, and, uh, and we're playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, and I remember loving it. It was like love at first sight. And I actually, and I'm I'm probably going to be aggravating a lot of gamers by saying this, I actually like this one better than Turtles 2. Maybe it's because of that nostalgia that I have for the game, but I think there are certain things about the game I really, really like. I like the fact that it's not a port of an arcade game. It was its own beat-em-up. It's very, very similar to the second one. But, there are also some separations in the game, like the fact that you can have a a really, really unique special attack when you hit A and B. The only problem with it is that it takes a bar of your life when you use it every time. Uh, You also have different environments that are really neat, like in the second stage, uh, you're on a surfboard, and as a matter of fact, that music, the beginning of our show, kind of sounds similar to the second stage of this game. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the gameplay the gameplay was really good. The only the only downfall with it really is that it's kind of short. Um, and this is the only Turtles game I had beaten as a kid by myself. Just a great game. Just a solid game. Uh, one of my favorite soundtracks for the NES. Tomoyo Tamita was the composer of it uh, who composed Contra Force, uh, Castlevania Dracula X, uh, Gr- Gradius... Y- Yuichi Sakakura composed for Top Gun, the second mission, and um, Kozo Nakamura composed for Castlevania Legacy of the Darkness. So, uh, lots of great composers on this this uh, Konami title. And you've got your traditional uh, villains. you got Dirtbag, Groundchuck, Slash, Leatherhead, Bebop, Rocksteady, Toka, Razark, Krang, Shredder, and yes, Super Shredder. Uh-oh, Shredder. Yeah, man, I love the secret the use. He was great in that. <laughs> He really was. He did, like, three moves and killed himself. Yeah, I know, that always made me mad, but besides that part, this game... I wrote an article on this game, and I do feel like this game was definitely overshadowed. You know, it it came out in 1992 toward the latter part of the NES lifespan, and the turtle craze, let's just face it, it it was fading too at this point. The Sega Genesis and the Super nintendo they were hitting their peak of popularity, and people often forgot that the NES was still cranking out some awesome games. And it seemed like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 was lost in the, in the shuffle between the very, very popular arcade port and a certain Ninja Turtles game that was soon to come. Do you know which one that one would be? Turtles of Time. That's right. One of, quite possibly, the best Ninja Turtles game of all time. I would argue that it is. <laughs> it, it's, it's, Yeah, it's up there for,
0: like, best game of all time.
1: Oh, yeah. Like,
0: best beat 'em up game of all time. Yeah, best soundtrack, too, I'd say. Oh, I would agree with that. Oh, That's... yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, it, it was sandwiched right between that because I think in 1992, Manhattan Project had come out, and then just six months later, Turtles 4 had come out. So very, very quickly, people had gotten over the Manhattan Project and were already playing, you know, a superior version of uh, Teenage Ninja Turtles. And because of that, I think a lot of people overlook Turtles 3. I, th- I thought it was a great game. Excellent game. Excellent soundtrack. Excellent gameplay. Everything a Ninja Turtle fan, uh, especially a kid in 1992, could ever ask for. Excellent game, and I give it a 9 out of 10. 9 Calabungas out of 10, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 9 Calabungas. That's,
0: yeah. that's really saying something. Absolutely. <laughs> for my game on this Turtles segment, I reviewed Tournament Fighters for the NES. Yay! It yeah, I was going to say it's it's not bad. i would played the Tournament Fighters for SNES and Genesis and what surprises me about those two is that they're totally different games mm-hmm. with the same premise. You know, the characters are different, the stories are different. Uh main villains are different. You know, it, it it's really good that they gave it made it varied because it's like, you know, you can buy the SNES version and the Genesis and have two different games. Not feel like you got gypped buying the same game for two different systems. NES continues that tradition. It's totally different than the other two, story-wise. You, uh, if you do the story mode, there's a story mode, a VS mode, tournament mode where you and like four other folks fight to win a tournament, an option screen when you first start the game. If you do the story mode, you can only play as the four turtles, you can only play, you know, Raphael, Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo. And basically, what's happened in the story is that Shredder has come back and is causing trouble, even though he said that he wouldn't last time the Turtles fought him. <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of laugh. I'm like, come on, it's the Shredder. He's going yeah. gonna- to do all kinds of crazy stuff. The Turtles decide to have a tournament to see who's going to get to fight him in the end. So the Turtles fight you know you fight the four turtles and you even fight a clone of yourself which Ooh. you know for an nes game is pretty cool then you fight uh, casey jones after you fight the turtles because he's wanting to get in on the action too a- after you beat casey you fight a character that they created specifically for the nes version called hothead hothead is you, you said what studio it was the savage dragon studio was that uh Oh yes, uh, Savage Dragon. Uh, that that was an Image comic I was franchise. Saying, I remember if it was Image or Mirage? He, Hothead is a nod to Savage Dragon. He's a half dragon, half man, and he's this big, huge guy. You know that he's kind of like a like a mini boss before you get to the Shredder himself. And you know you fight Hothead, and then you fight the Shredder, and you know you. It does like your traditional fighting. It shows you the end on normal and says, you know, you should try it on hard mode. If you do it on easy, it doesn't even really show you an end. It's just like, you know, you need to play the game on normal and hard modes to see the ending. I hate that too. Oh, <laughs> I hate that. Um, but you know, it plays just like your basic fighter. The controls a little sluggish, but you know, it's it's NES and mm-hmm. it's having to keep up with a really really high high graphic sprite
1: count. You know the, the the sprites are so detailed in that game. That yeah, yeah, I was gonna say because I've seen screenshots of it and it looks awesome. Like the, graphically, that is a pretty game for the NES. Oh, it's beautiful, and it it does lead to some
0: slowdown sometimes when there's a lot going on, like a lot of like flashes and fireballs and stuff. Like in a normal fighting game, it kind of slows it down a little bit. Mm. But, I mean, you can see past it. The the game is solid enough to where you're like, yeah, you know, it slows down, but it's NES, so it's forgivable. The thing that really helped me out a lot during my game was, like, part of the way through your battle, this, like, little floating pitcher with Splinter's face on it floats into the screen, and it drops an orb, and if you pick that orb up and hit, like, down, forward, and punch... You do, like, reuse a fireball attack from Street Fighter. But, the but like, any of the turtles or any of the guys in the game can do it once they get it. And the thing about that is, is it drops between you and your enemy, so your enemy has just as fair a shot of getting the the fireball as you do. So, you know, uh, you fight, you make it to Shredder, you beat him up, the ending is basically the turtle gets him down and has him cornered, and Shredder begs for his life, and... The turtles say, okay, you know, we'll let you go this time, but, you know, whatever. And he runs off, and you can kind of see, like, little tears coming off of him as he's running. Oh, wow. After you beat him, but uh, the, the fight with Shredder was actually pretty epic when I did that. Really? Because he won the first round. I won the second round. The third round, he had me down. Where I was almost dead, I came back and we double KO'd each other. And then it went to round four, the final round, and I got the little Shuriken Fireball. He was about to do his—I call it his Sub Zero move. He throws like his fists move so fast you can't see it, and it makes you come closer to him mm-hmm. as he's punching. Uh-huh. So he gets like thirty free hits on you when he does that. <laughs> but they don't—they're—they're kind of scaled or they don't hurt as bad, but. I got the fireball, threw it at him, and hit him right in the face with it. Oh, he,
1: nice, nice, good it job! Was,
0: it was Raphael, you know, and he kind of—he has the same moves he has from the SNES tournament fighters. He has the drill where he sticks his hands out
1: and his sign, he spins across the screen. Yeah, that was also in the uh, Turtles Three game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he like, you know, he kind of spins in the air.
0: Yeah, he does that too, and that's like a—that's like a three or four hit attack. Awesome. Because for each little thing that he spins, it hits him. Unless you can time it. And see, I figured out when you time it the right way, when he hits him on the last rotation before he falls down, it shoots him across the screen. It hits him harder. So, you know, you kind of have to figure your distance. But uh, just a little background on it. Came out in 93, like we said earlier. This version was not released in Japan. Wow, really? And this... A lot of folks may or may not know this. This was Konami's last NES game in North America ever.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So they kind of went out on a, on a high note with that. No kidding, no kidding. This is a game that I wanted so bad, and I still want. And if there are any listeners out there that would be willing to take 35. 35- Maybe forty dollars for this. I would I would gladly pay it once I finally get paid. I would love I would love a copy of this game. Another
0: another cool fact is you can't have a, you can have mirror matches with every character except Hothead. Oh really? You can't do Hothead because his sprite is so big that during playtesting I found out that it would cause the NES to lock up and freeze down. Oh gosh! Because he because you know you couldn't have two of them on the screen at the same time. You can be via uh, uh, devices like game genie and some other you know external device you can have hot head versus hot head but it's so slow that it's really not worth playing wow well uh so you said casey jones is in that one casey jones is in that one and wow he he, he's pretty good if he's got an attack that he can do where he kind of does like a backflip and he swings like a cricket bat Mm -hmm. and it makes a whirlwind shoot out and if the whirlwind hits the turtles, like the turtle kind of gets caught in it, and he's like dizzy and spinning around, and you know he can like roll in and do like a combo on them while they're dizzy.
1: Wow, I, I didn't even—I thought he was only in the Genesis version. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, he's in the—he's in the NES version too, and he's—he's he's pretty good fighter if you know how to fight with him. Sweet. He was the only—he was the only one that gave me troubles, Raphael.
1: Well, uh, so if you had to give Tur- Teenage Mutant Turtles tournament fighters for the NES uh, one to ten rating, what would you give it, my man? I'd give it a nine. It's it's solid.
0: Nice. It's, it's the best thing, the best, I guess, game you're going to have to a Street Fighter game on NES. Ah, wow. Well said, man. Well and said. the thing I like, too, is the character portraits are really detailed. Like, the turtles <laughs> are, it uses, like, the character photos of the turtles from the movies where they've got, like, the little spots on their body. uh uh-huh. It does that for their, like, character photo. Like, Casey Jones is, you know, he's... It kind of almost looks like a 16-bit photo, like an early 16-bit. Uh-huh. The photos of the characters do. The Shredder, you know, he has the... It's the Shredder from the movie where he's got, like, the grill built into, like, the three different sides of the mask. Right.
1: I gotta play this game. game. I gotta play this game so bad. You gotta get it.
0: (laughs) You've got to get that. It is so awesome.
1: Well... Uh, so that's that makes two nines. Uh, Manhattan Project got a nine. Tournament Fighters got a nine. Awesome.
0: Konami's on a roll not, man.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the last thing we asked our fans about, I, I thought this would be just an interesting little debate, and boy, we got some interesting answers about this. I just, I basically phrased it like this. I, I said, okay, if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one, do you prefer the violent, the serious, and dark side, the comic book side of the Ninja Turtles? Or do you, do you prefer the fun-loving, cartoony, hilarious, uh, laid-back style of the Turtles from the, you know, from the cartoons, obviously? So, here's what the fans had to say. Uh, Jose, uh, I'm not even gonna try to say your last name there, Jose, I'm sorry. <laughs> but he says, cartoon from the 80s and early 90s. I was born in 76, and I prefer my shows old school. So, he picks the cartoon. There's one for the cartoon. Uh, Joe Gibkin says the 1984 comics
0: they are the original versions of the creators themselves and not a wacky product made for the purpose of promoting toys the cartoon may have had prettier art but it was so goofy that's a good point That's good point. The, the comic turtles are what the turtles are supposed
1: to be you know I mean we can argue all we want but the original vision was you know his first couple of or first volume they
0: were violent ninjas I
1: mean yeah Yeah, I I agree, and there's a lot of people that agree with you. Oh, yeah. You know, like Kyle uh, Varnell, our buddy Kyle, says, and I I love Kyle's responses, because they're always pretty controversial. (laughs) He he really puts it out there. And he says, the serious-slash-violent one is the only version that's worth anything. All right, that's my G-rated version. But yeah, I'll just say if you want to see the unedited, go to the Facebook <laughs> yeah, go, and read the comment. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> the artwork was much better, uh, as was the storylines. Dumbing it down for three-year-olds was an asinine move. Give me the older ones any day of the week. Wow, strong words once again, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, in, in very,
0: very true words. They kind of ring with what uh, Joe above yeah. said. Yeah, that's true. Let's see. Aaron Bryle said, The first time I heard about them was early 86 as the role-playing game. Hmm, I didn't know they had a role-playing game. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that, I, I could see that being I could see that being kind of cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, read a few of the comics, then the graphic novels came out in 87. And as an 11-year-old kid, I loved the cartoon. I like, still to this day, the color of the mask and the personalities of each of the characters. I sat here trying to make a decision, and I think it's sacrilege for you to do this to me. (laughs) That's a good point, because (laughs) I have a special spot in my heart for the cartoons as well. I mean, I can't say, oh, you know, I just love the comics. I mean, I've not read that many of them. I've just read, obviously, the first set. Right, right. I I can't just say, oh, yeah, poo-poo the cartoons. I mean, I grew up with the cartoons. That's part of my Saturday mornings was (laughs) waking up and watching the turtles.
1: Right, I know, I know. That's... I, I just did this to be the devil's advocate. I just wanted to see what people would say. And I'm with you, man. Uh, we're going to talk about our personal, like, if we had to pick one here in a little bit. But, man, I, I struggle with this just as much as everyone else did, I think. But uh, Jeff Winkle says, our buddy Jeff says, uh, I'll take the older comics anytime over the cheesy cartoons back in the day. Wow. So there's another vote for the comics. And I think the comics are winning right now.
0: Yeah, they are. Yeah. Robert Ferguson. <laughs> Can I pick the movie Turtles? I didn't read the comics or watch the show. I'm old. <laughs> you can take the movie turtles. Because Absolutely. They're they're like the perfect blend of the cheesiness of the cartoon and the seriousness of the comic book.
1: Right, and I'm assuming he's talking about the first movie.
0: Yeah, I was just g- saying,
1: not, not that third one with the.
0: <laughs> that's Rob's favorite movie.
1: Oh, shut up, man.
0: That's your favorite movie of all time. You no, even talk. No, take off. It is not. You've got the special collector's <laughs> edition. At the flea market. I saw it.
1: No way. No way. Well, you're the yep, you're the, you're the the guy with the parakeet. That's you.
0: Yeah, and I fell off a cliff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because I pushed you off. Uh,
0: <laughs> then he just turns into a dot and disappears. He disappears. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sorry we got off on that tangent there, but it's true. <laughs> that was a horrible tangent. <laughs> you started it. I, I didn't start it. You anything. did.
1: You brought you're up Turtles just, 3. You're
0: the uh, troublemaker. Oh, you all start trouble.
1: Oh, take a hike. Get out of here. No way. I'm not taking a hike. You take one. <laughs> no way. All right. Tony Lee says the 1987 Turtles so he's talking about the cartoon It is the incarnation of TMNT a lot of people grew up with, or grow up with, and I feel like, sorry, the 1987 Turtles had a bit more personality than the Mirage comic incarnations. Wow, interesting answer. Good point. Yeah, the 1987 TMNT also had better video games such as Turtles in Time, the Hyperstone Heist, oh that's a good one, and Tournament Fighters. The Mirage comics only had one game, which was the, one game in which AVGN hates, I don't know which one that one is.
0: I think it's the first one. I think the first one is based off the comics, because if you look at the art on the cartridge and on the box, the turtles all have the same oh, yeah. bandana, and you know they all had the same bandanas in the the comics.
1: Yeah, but see, but in, like in the actual game, the turtles had different colors, and and Splinter, yeah. Splinter looks uh, a lot like Splinter from the cartoon, but then again, April doesn't look like April from the cartoon. I don't think.
0: No, and Shredder doesn't look like Shredder from the cartoon either.
1: Yeah, maybe you're right. That's a good point. By the way, did you ever notice what April says in the the original? She goes, she she says something like, "Uh, you have to do something with the bombs. You have my support." Yeah, like it's like <laughs> thanks for the
0: thanks for the support, there, cheerleader. <laughs> yeah. Keep on rah rah us to victory.
1: Yeah. yeah, Splinter says you can do it. Uh, we have April's support.
0: <laughs> it's like April. If we have your support, why aren't you a playable character with like a gun?
1: <laughs> Good point.
0: I mean, uh, seriously. Uh, anyway, back to the topic at hand. Uh, Brian Gustafson. 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 I, I uh, said, Gustafson. Sorry, I, I Brian. <laughs> uh, see, I only saw glimpses of the darker black and white graphic novels. However, I grew up more on the lighthearted comics like On the Right.
1: Hmm.
0: I'm assuming... The picture.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there was at that point. Jeremy Lang says old-school violent turtles. One simple reason. Have you ever been bitten by a snapping turtle? Turtles are mean carnivorous (laughs) water goats eating everything in their path. Wow. Interesting point.
0: (laughs) This is true. I caught one on a fishing pole once. He was a mean sucker.
1: (laughs) sure he wasn't too happy you did that.
0: Well, you know, he shouldn't have bit my lure. (laughs) So it's his fault. That's right, that water goat. (laughs) Uh, Michelle Walnice. Walnice. I hope he said that right. Walnice. Yeah. All in act, the comics were amazing, but gotta love
1: the cheesy cartoon.
0: Calbunga. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said, well said. So there's one for the cartoon. Uh, Daniel Wathen, or Wathin says, <laughs> The tale of the shell, the darker and the lighter coexist harmoniously. All right, so he took the easy answer, but uh, you know what? <sighs> All right, Landon, can you pick one? If you had to pick one, can you do it?
0: If I had to pick one, could I do it? I couldn't do it. I wouldn't want to do it. Right. I really like both of them. Right. But if I had to pick one...
1: Oh, my gosh. It's hard, I don't know it? what to say. I know, I know. You want me to go first? Go first, <laughs> please. Because it is hard. After a lot of thinking, I'm a lot like you, Landon. Like I haven't read all the comic books, but the ones I did read were so good. Like, the, the Tales of the TMNT, I love those comic books so much. They're my favorite. The Ninja Turtle comics are my favorite comics out of any comics I've ever read. And I've read Spider-Man, X-Men. I've read uh, The Crow, which is really good. I've read a lot of different uh, image comics, like Wildcats and things like that. Uh, all of them I'm a huge fan of. Turtles are my favorite. However, I grew up on the cartoon. I I grew up on that. That is part of my childhood. And I think, in a way, when you go back and you look at those cartoons, they still hold up, I think. I mean, yeah, sure, the art style might be a little bit dated, but I think there's a certain charm to that original cartoon series. (sighs) Although this is ridiculously hard to pick, and although I love both very much, just for the sake of saying I had to pick one, I'd have to go with the cartoon. But I loved, like I said, this, this... Tales of the TMNT issue 9. That was pretty serious. That was a serious comic. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it, it touched me. But if I had to pick one, I'll go with the cartoon. But that was after a very, very long consideration. I thought about this all week. And I'm, I'm a lot like what Daniel said. I think you need both. I think there's a great yeah. part of having both. But if I, it just for the sake of being interesting and, and Having to pick one, I guess I'd have to go with the turtles just because they made. Though I grew up on them, so that that's my that's, pick.
0: That's kind of my choice too. I mean, I love what I've read of the comic book. Yeah, but I can watch a turtle episode and relate it to a specific memory that I had while watching it. Right, <laughs> to a specific thought that I had while watching it, like when I was four or five, six years old. Right. Good point. I mean, you could do that with comic books. And yeah, the fact that you know people can die in the comic books and not come back, whereas in the in the cartoon, they just get you know something dumped on them, or <laughs> they they get captured and put away and, and mm-hmm. don't die. You know, I still gotta go with the cartoon just for the fact that mm-hmm. I grew up on it. Mm-hmm. it. It it's what introduced me to the turtles and then expanded the universe on out. Right. You know, it was kind of the I guess it was kind of the the ticket booth to the Turtles. You know, you watch the cartoon, mm-hmm. which is the ticket booth. You go through the gate, and then there's just this whole big universe of, like, comics and uh,
1: side stories. And, dude, good point. That's a great analogy there. That That's a very good point. You know, that's, that's
0: why I have to go with the cartoon, because it was that gateway that led me to the whole much bigger area of, of what the Turtles are and, and what they were originally
1: intended to be. Right. Yeah, because if I'd never seen the show, chances are I would never even found the comics, you know. And, and and the show has a certain charm to it because I was hooked on the show, like just a lot like you. I wanted to find out more about the turtles. I watched the movies. I, I, I got the toys, and and I still wanted more. And, and and then I found out that they actually originated from a comic book in the early '90s, and I wanted to know more about it. I mean, that opened the floodgates for everything else, and everything else been has been icing on the cake. Yeah, 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 or extra cheese on the pizza. <laughs> there you go. Good analogy. <laughs> so I think, you know what? I think with our two votes for the cartoon, although it was, believe me, I know it was hard for you and it was definitely hard yep. for me, I think it's a 50 50. I do, too. I yeah. think it's like
0: Daniel said, you have to have both. Yes, you have to have both. <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have the darker turtles uh-huh. to appreciate the lighter turtles, and you have to have the lighter turtles to appreciate the seriousness of the darker turtles' stories.
1: Yes, very, very well said, yes. Uh, but anyways, that is it for our first Ninja Turtles special. We've covered the comic books, we've covered the cartoons, we've covered the video games, at least for the NES. Uh, is this going to be the last one the retro junkies do? Of course not. There are still so many great turtles games out there, including the ones on the Game Boy, a uh, uh, couple on the Sega Genesis, a certain one on the SNES. We definitely want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there's there's actually two on the SNES that are really good. That's right, uh, Tournament Fighters and
0: Tur- Turtles in Time, right? Oh yeah.
1: Yes, there we go. <laughs> I just want to make sure I had that right. No, Rob, Turtles Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would I didn't that. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, so there will definitely be another episode of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles some some way down uh, the road but we've had an incredibly fun time doing this we we had so much fun doing this that we decided to even start our own podcast you know it's gonna be it's gonna be way down the road but we want to do it start our own podcast dedicated solely to the ninja turtles and that's the comic books the toys the films the current show uh everything everything you could possibly think of that's ninja turtle related we want to cover it it's been so fun landon i know the turtles are a huge part of your childhood they're oh. a, they're a huge part of my childhood and they're really a huge part of my life today i i, I love them and land i know you do too buddy I dressed up as Donatello when I was five years old. Hey, me too. Me too. No way. Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Nice. Another thing we want to say is uh, we apologize that our episodes have been a lot more spread out lately. You know, bottom line is school for me, uh, I'm going back to college and I'm going to be going back full time. uh, So I'm kind of getting ready for that. And it's, it's, it's going to be... It's probably about two or three weeks before we can crank out another episode, you know, so uh, if we're lucky, two weeks, but, you know, usually it's going to be about every three weeks or so, we're going to have a new episode. And and Landon's got a little girl coming. <laughs> I know, I've got a I've got a young one that I've got to get introduced
0: to Star Wars, Ninja <laughs> Turtles, and Batman. Yeah. yeah, you raise her right, man. <laughs> That's right, I'm going to raise her with all the, the classics, such as Batman, The Time the Turtles, Sent the Shredder and Crane Back to Dimension X. Oh, nice. And as always, don't trust the Ewoks. (laughs) They took down the Empire. (laughs) See, if she knows those three principles, she's going to make it. That's right. It's just like the Triforce of, you know, wisdom, courage, and power. (laughs) The Triforce of Star Wars Batman and the Turtles. (laughs) Wow, we need to really, like, make a Triforce symbol of that. We really should. (laughs) And, you know, if you get all three parts of the whole, you're like the king of the the nerds and
1: geeks. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Well, so stay tuned for the next episode. We'll have it out in about two or three weeks. And it's going to be, our main focus is going to be on Zombies Ate My Neighbors for the Sega Genesis or the Super Nintendo. We haven't decided yet. Maybe we'll do one (laughs) of each. (laughs) So, we thank you so much for listening. Check us out on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash gaming junkies, or you can send us an email at the theretrojunkies at the anytime you want to talk about anything. Oh, and if you have that uh, Tournament Fighters NES game you <laughs> want to sell for about 30 bucks, just email us there. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll work something out. And check out RetroGamingTimes.com or our, our Nerd Talk website at facebook.com/slash nerdstalkradio, all one word. And check out our buddy Jeff on Old School Games at on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Old School Games R Us. So, on behalf of Landon and myself, we want to wish you all a good night, good gaming, and cowabunga! Eat that pizza. <laughs> eat that pizza boy. That's right. That pizza's <laughs> delicious
0: and it's good for you. Oh I'm not doing it, man. I'm done. <laughs> Whatever, you need to eat some more of it. Take not off
1: chess. No way, man, that I still taste that stupid fish. Cowabunga. Well, I got a dead cat on my desk. Lay is like passed out right in front of my keyboard. Like, wake up, kitty. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like tap her belly and she she wakes up. Meow. No, she didn't. She just kind of let me do it. Let me do it's it like, again. Knock it off. <laughs> oh, she got up on that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's mad now. I like the sound effect. <laughs>